Hey. Alright. That was good. Welcome to Nostalgia Cast, your weekly roundup of the best and most up-to-date nostalgic news where we discuss the stories and give our thoughts. Yes. I'm your host, who starts my car and tries to make the midnight show, Andrew Price. The Star Child, Tyler Palo. The Demon, Julia Mond, filling in for Kelby. The Catman, Louis Elvius, and Dad Beats, a.k.a. The Spaceman, a.k.a. Kirk Pinchon. Dad Beats! And I thought that was going to piss you off until I found out today that you actually like Kiss. That I like the Kiss. Which is so bizarre to me. Yeah, I like, I, I like I like the hits. Kiss. I go for the hits. I like you, Kiss. <laughs> you've always said, like, I, I hate classic rock. I, I hate do. guitar music. I do. And yet, you, and yet you like Kiss, and you like Roundabout by Yes. Yeah, I know. I'm weird. I got problems. Yeah. So how did you assign us our names? Just arbitrarily. Uh, I, I have because you are a demon. Yeah. <laughs> I have an order. It's always Tyler, Kelby, Lewis, Kirk, mm-hmm. and you know you just fit into whatever person you're replacing, mm-hmm. and then that's the order of importance of the members of Kiss. It's Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Peter Chris is mm-hmm. the Catman, and Ace Frehley. Hang on. Why is Ace Freely the least important? Sorry to ask this and go de- diving deep for a band Which that I one just is, kind what of What face like, is he? He's the, he's the spaceman. Because Ace Freely is not that good of a guitarist. Is he a better guitarist than Gene Simmons as a bassist? I would, say, I would say Paul Stanley and, and Gene Simmons are very solid rhythm uh, players. Mm-hmm. And Ace Freely is... Definitely on the bottom of the totem pole of of lead guitarists. So I'm at the totem pole of this podcast. It's what you just established. <laughs> I just said that it's arbitrary. Like when, that, that one episode when I did the good, the bad, and the ugly, I wasn't it, it had no attachment to Lewis being ugly. It was just a it was just a chronological <laughs> order of a of a sequence of events things. He matched up with the ugly in that sequence. You matched I, up. I, <laughs> ugly. I would have changed the subject to my team. I didn't realize this was Kiss, and I thought you were doing. I thought you were calling me the Star Kid from that 1997 Disney Channel movie, no. or Disney movie. And I, I was so excited. No. Are you are you less excited now? Yeah, I don't like Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> what? What is wrong with you? No, I love Kiss. I, that's Dad. They're, if you're watching, I'm joking. Their characters slash masks are inspired by Japanese Kabuki. Welcome to the show for a second time. Yeah, Julia. Mm, thanks. Congratulations. How's it feel? Thank you. Um, I feel really good. I feel really energetic. Uh, I have coffee, which is good. I didn't have that last time. Yeah. So my heart's racing. But yeah, I feel really great about it. I'm excited to only know 50% of what we're talking about today. <laughs> we'll we'll just stare at each other. Yeah, yeah. Most stuff we don't know. It's mostly Andrew doing the work. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, okay. if you're if you're anything like any of the rest of these guys it's way more than 50 or it's way less than 50 percent <laughs> it's like maybe 10 percent i was looking at the list well, the, i i know a lot about this list actually. the percentage I'm went up because kelby's not here yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah although i i realize not to just besmirch your you know subbing in for him but there was actually a story that i had on here originally that i decided against which was a surprise to me. It was a surprise to me that I I realized this. Uh, there was a story that I decided to not go with because I realized that without Kelby here, there would be like nobody to provide a certain type of insight on this story. That to the point where I felt like it just wouldn't be interesting to talk about. 
Let's try. It was something. What's the story? It was something. I, I don't even remember what it was, okay. but it was something to do. They announced that there was mass. There's going to be massive layoffs for Marvel Television because they're Whoa. they're folding Marvel Television into Marvel Studios, and uh, Kevin Feige is like overtaking, uh, becoming the head of of all Marvel media. So he's becoming the head of the movies, which he has been, as well as publishing the comics and television. And then they're firing uh, Jeff Loeb, who was the head of Marvel Television, and he's, you know, a legendary comic book writer who did a lot of, uh, you know, he did like uh, Batman, The Long Halloween and, and stuff. Kelby, typically when we talk about like movie and TV industry stuff, the behind the scenes stuff, like he usually provides, <laughs> I don't want to say that, uh, he usually <laughs> provides the, <laughs> I was going to say he provides the color. But <laughs> what? <laughs> so you say it? Insight. The insight on, Better on that. Yes. So yeah, I was like, oh yeah, this won't be interesting to talk about without Kelby here. Mm-hmm. Which was, just, I was like, oh, okay. And now I'm realizing the value of everybody. So Getting into the holiday spirit. Yeah. Yeah. We have value. It's a Christmas miracle. So before we get into the stories, I wanted to talk about this really quick. Not exactly nostalgia, but I think it, you know, it plays into the stuff we talk about a lot on this podcast, um, which is stuff that's going into like, streaming services and how they come into play with what our media landscape is like now. So uh, they came out with the announcements for the nominees for TV shows and actors for the Golden Globes for the first year ever in the history of the Golden Globes um, or any awards shows ever. There are no TV shows or actors from broadcast network channels nominated at all. It's only streaming services and cable channels. Netflix scored an astonishing 17 Golden Globe nominations, plus another 17 nods in the film categories. Hulu and Amazon Prime earned five nominations each. Uh, Apple TV Plus scored three, uh, which is crazy because it just came out, but I guess, you know, uh, uh, thanks to its recently debuted The Morning Show, whatever that is. That's the Steve Carell, Jennifer Aniston show. Oh, okay. Has anyone seen that show? No. Uh, obviously. No. I, I, didn't even I don't know think I'm going to. Supremacy was most evident in the best TV musical or comedy category, where four of the five nominations came from streaming services, Amazon Studios' Fleabag and The Marvelous Mrs. My, Mrs. Meisel. Maisel. Maisel. And uh, Netflix's The Kaminsky Method and The Politician. Um, the Kaminsky Method is a musical? Musical or comedy. Oh. It, they, they wrapped them into one category. The story was slightly better for cable networks, uh, though only HBO came close to matching Netflix, scoring 15 nomi- nominations for shows such as Succession, Big Little Lies, per- uh, Chernobyl, and Barry. Um, but even two of the network's biggest shows, Game of Thrones and Veep, didn't earn any nominations, um, save Kit Harrington for Best Actor in a TV Drama. Showtime and FX, meanwhile, managed only a paltry three or four nods, respectively. So, yeah. So, it's, it's, in- it's kind of crazy. There was a time... I mean... You know, I think I think uh, I remember the first ever original streaming show was uh, Lilyhammer on Netflix. <laughs> oh God, that I, don't know what I that vaguely is. remember that. And I'm it's to, yeah, it was, was a, a drama. Yeah, well, it, kind of. It was it was about uh, a guy. I forget the a- actor. Um, he's a guy who was in The Sopranos, and I just don't remember his name. But... James Gandolfini. No, yes. it's Stevie. No, Some yeah, whatever. Yeah, I Stephen think, Van Zandt. I think you're right, but Stephen I, Van Zandt. Oh, oh yeah, the guy from uh, Springsteen. Yeah, but it's about this guy in the mafia who gets put into the witness protection program, and then he has to go live out in this random Swedish little Swedish village, and it's just about like a like a wise guy living in a Swedish village um, called Lilyhammer. 
What do you uh, mean, wise hey, guy? Like what that? are all these puppets doing here? Uh, you've never heard the term <laughs> wise guy? Oh, like I mean, wise guy like no, that? Swedish, the Swedish Yeah, chef. That's, okay. that's what a wise guy well, is. Well, I didn't know whether you meant an actual sage or like a wise guy. <laughs> I thought you were saying a wise man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your rhythm was a little confusing. That's right. Well, I did Just say saying, he was in the mafia. But yeah, that was the oh, you did. that was the first ever one. And back then it was a very novel idea. Like, oh, that's weird. Like they made a show for the internet. Like it just it didn't feel valid. It felt like a weird experiment. But people were doing that on YouTube, weren't they? No, not back no. then. What what year are we talking? This was in like 2007 or something back like that. In the deep I mean, there was like days. you know web series that you yeah. made on yeah. on YouTube or whatever, but that was like people just making something in their living room or whatever. But the idea of making a real television show for the internet was like a weird experimental thing. The first one that was like actually legit and big and like legitimized and solidified the idea that like you could just make a real TV show for a streaming service was House of Cards. Like that show came out and people were like, holy shit, like there's like this huge movie star starring in the or several huge movie stars starring in the show. And it's a real show. And it's been like it's produced by David Fincher. And he directed like the pilot. And it's just on Netflix. And then it and then it became hugely popular. And then that just from that point on, it was just a gradual climb to the point where now it's really surreal that like the Golden Globes is being dominated by streaming service shows. For the record, the Golden Globes is fucking stupid. Well, they're all yeah. stupid. Is that the I one mean, where they're all really like, dumb the Academy show. or they will never get a nod yeah. again? Yeah, you really, it's, it's all terrible. just like, they're all just star uppers. Also, House of Cards is based on a BBC show. Some, some, oh yeah, I think that's the, right. Like the, yeah. same, the same exact thing, basically. I mean, that being said, because they are stupid, yeah. they're not that far off, I think. I mean, you kind of go, oh, what's on? Because I'm, I still watch broadcast TV, and I still, I was going, wow, what's really good out there that's broadcast that could have been nominated to me, other than The Good Place, which is a crime that that <gasps> wasn't. That's stupid. That's Wait, way stupid. That's, <gasps> why does being broadcasted validate? Like, I was too young in 2007. What's to, broadcast to and what's t- uh, cable? Like, back in the day, there was just network television. There was like Fox and. <clears throat> UPN and uh, local channels like (laughs) KTLA or like six channels. Yeah. And then cable TV was like this new thing where you had to like get these channels added onto your package and you basically like paid an additional fee for every channel you got. Mm -hmm. So you got like HBO, but also even like you had to you had to pay to get like the Disney channel or TNT or whatever, or no, TNT's network, network, mm-hmm. whatever, but you know, the cable channels, you had to like pay to get them. Now, like when you get cha- you get uh, cable and you get like a package where it's like everything. But I get that part, but I'm saying like, kind of like with music. And though. network TV, you can, you can just get it through the airwaves. Like you put a antenna on your TV and you get all the network channels and it's free, but they pay for it through the advertising. So the commercials you see are paying for the TV shows. It's the difference between... And maybe even this is not a framework reference for you because maybe you're just still too young. But the difference between like being like a music artist that just has their music on SoundCloud versus being like signed to a real record label and having your album like pressed as a CD or or whatever and sold in stores. That was at one point the difference between a show on network television versus a show that's made for a streaming service even though the audience is there like even, like the netflix have 
an audience that was there, like a hundred thousand people, a million people watching? Uh, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head, like what the numbers were at the time, but certainly, yeah. I mean, back in the day, like Netflix was like a thing where you ordered DVDs, DVDs yeah, and they came in the mail and then they had like some stuff online that you could watch. I remember when they first launched live streaming and it was like Casablanca <laughs> and then like rent. It was like five things. And they would like rotate them out. The first streaming mo sh movie I ever watched was Casablanca because it came on and I was like, oh. And that was the first experience I ever had with watching something through a streaming service. And then they would like rotate them out. And like the next month they had like five different things or whatever. And then they started slowly adding things. And at first it was like, it was just a bunch of crap. It was a bunch of like straight to DVD type movies or whatever. And then they started getting real stuff where it was like, oh shit, they have like sliders and and quantum leap and things like that and then you know it just snowballed to how it is today yes. sliders is real stuff of course it yeah is. what is that the jerry o'connell yes. yes okay one of the greatest science fiction shows in history i mean i'm, I'm a fine uh jerry o'connell fan i've never seen sliders oh my god i wouldn't put that in the pantheon of tv <laughs> hey hey whatever you're gonna say <laughs> it's the holidays so back to the golden globes oh it's just an indication of where the money is going, right? Because with the, all those award shows, you have to pay to play, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, with all the streaming services being nominated, it's probably where a lot of companies are investing their money and in expanding internet services as opposed to cable slash broadcast. And I think that people have been talking about that for a long time, but these things tend to be like theoretical. People will be like, yeah, man, like soon, like, cable stations are going to go out of business and like it's all going to be on the internet or whatever but well nbc is is coming out with their streaming service which is an example of a company that has had you know broadcast slash cable but is just converting to streaming service yeah it's all happening it's, it's, all it's happening. like it's like it's been talked about for years and now it's like i feel like it's just very quickly yeah. in like a relatively small amount of time like just everything has just come to a head and like now it's like Every, every cable channel is, like you said, launching their streaming service, and now they're being pushed out of award ceremonies, yeah. and it's, it's, it's... So are you saying that's bad? The singularity. Yeah. No, no. Well, oh, well, not the award ceremony part. I think the everybody creating their own um, streaming service is just terrible. You're going to be paying cable prices for bullshit well, that you don't want. Well, a part of the Peacock discussion has been that it could be free, but they use advertisers. <laughs> then isn't that just TV? What the f that's yeah, Hulu. It's, it's TV well, yeah, on the like, this is the yeah. thing. It's, it's not good or bad. It's yeah. the same. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly, exactly the same. It's just, it's just like this happens all the time. But a couple years ago, there was a thing where there was this new social media network that came out, and it was called Ello. If you remember that, no. Oh, um, yeah. And everyone was talking about Ello, and they're like, "I'm leaving Facebook and getting onto Ello because Ello, there's no algorithm, yep. and there's no advertising, there's no ads. They just, you just have friends, and you just see what your friends post, and that's it." And people were like talking about it, like this is a big thing, and it's like really cool, and it's like so much better than Facebook. But the thing is, is that that's how Facebook used to be. Over time, they became what they are now. And if that Ello thing had caught on and become popular and sustained it would have inevitably just become Facebook. It's all the same. It's yeah. just like things start out and then there's a cycle. Streaming services are just going to become cable TV. Yeah. So will award ceremonies, because nobody really care. I mean, a lot of people don't care about award ceremonies anymore because it seems like people in the industry just gassing each other slash themselves up. So 
I mean, will award ceremonies go through that cycle too, where people just stop watching them and then there's something, there's a different type of award ceremony? Well, yeah, probably. I mean, every year the ratings for the Oscars get lower and lower. Yeah. I think that, I think they had yeah. like really bad ratings last year. Well, that's why they have the, that's the thing about the Golden Globes is everyone says the Golden Globes are actually stupid, but people watch the Golden Globes because all the stars are there. So that's kind of Golden Globes thing of like, we just want as many stars in that auditorium on that night because that's what gives us our ratings and that's mm -hmm. what kind of gives us our shine. It's also a potentially dangerous situation. <laughs> you could have get yourself that's, on a list. Yeah. Don't. Julia's <laughs> talking about her plot to yeah. bomb. It's well, not my plot. It's this is like, why you're the demon yeah, in the group. Geez. It's not plot, my plot. I'm, you know, I'm talking about it from a defense perspective. You know, I care <laughs> about people. So, do we have a backup plan for like the the secession of? Uh, well, we need a we need a uh, designated survivor. That's yeah. That's what I was wondering. There's and a, I isn't that Keith for Sutherland? One, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in real life, he's the yeah. he's the designated survivor. So he they keep him off in a different <laughs> building when the Golden Globes happen, so that if the Golden Globes gets bombed, he gets to star in yeah, all the movies. He, he, takes all I a, he becomes the new Chris Pratt. Oh, yeah. That's weird. I like it. That's they weird. keep him in a in a studio that's like designed I like a bunker. What I have a question for you guys, because since you guys are younger than me and don't necessarily know like when it was just broadcast TV and that was basically it. Like NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox. Is there any distinction? Do you go Oh, I know that show. That's an NBC show. Oh, I know that show. That's an Amazon Prime show. Or they're all just uh, out there and they're just shows that you will either watch or not watch. Only with shows that I care about. So, for example, I know that The Office is NBC. Mm -hmm. I know that Fleabag is Amazon Prime because I love those shows. Uh -huh. And so I and I have seen either the commercials or I know the platform that I watched them on. So I, I know that. But if for any kind of random show that I haven't watched, I have no idea, probably. Okay. Lou, what about you? I think every show is just a show to me. Like, <laughs> I swear to God, I thought you were going to say that. Yeah. Unless it's an old Unless show. Unless it's yeah. an old, old show, which you were like, oh, that was a thing. Yeah. But He's never he... watched TV, actually. Now I used to that's watch TV. That's why all like... the shows are shows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just feel like shows. Yeah. So anything you're like, that's just a show. I can either catch it somewhere or not catch it somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know Mash is Hallmark now because it's old. Oh my god, it was CBS. <laughs> it was, but it's Hallmark now. Oh my god. Yeah, I definitely know where they all come well, from. Well, you, uh, you, or actually, you're a Netflix robot now because you know where you, you. I wasn't actually wasn't addressing you because oh. I knew you would know. <laughs> I knew that that's your your brain. Because there was always a kind of a distinction of like, oh, this is an NBC How show. How are we able to tell? CBS was always like kind of your grandpa and grandma show. ABC was kind of like, oh, that's the family. We all watch this as a family. And NBC was a little, this is not really right. It wasn't edgy. But it's like, ooh, it has cheers. It's about a bar. Or, you know, oh, it has St. Elsewhere. That's a real heavy drop. Or, or, or Hill Street Blues, which I believe was NBC as well. Or Saturday Night Live. That so was the shows NBC. matched, like, the tone matched they did. The, the networks. They did, and I think the tone matched, uh, the shows matched the tone and maybe even matched what, like, the president of the channel or the company wanted. Yeah, exactly. that's what I was literally going to yeah. say, is, like, by, you know, by definition, every channel is going to, every cable station is going to have a tone because the the programming is dictated by one person. The guy who runs. Who, the who guy, is like, or, I or want these things, yeah. and they're saying yes and no to everything. Yeah. So, so, the, so inevitably, the the channel is going to reflect their personal taste, or at least, or at least what they think is what the audience is looking for. It's, yeah, I guess it's so. It's just like anything else; it's just branding. Yeah, if it's on brand, then it's going to be on our show. What our about network. something like Netflix? Then that just takes a lot of different 
Like they just license a lot of stuff. Yeah, well, I think right now maybe it'll start to congeal a little bit, but right now and for this past you know five six years or however long it's been, I don't necessarily think that Netflix or some of these streaming services like have a real definitive tone because they're just trying to buy up as much stuff as possible. So they're just like, they're just green lighting shit. I mean, and they're kind of stopping that now. They're, they're sort of like kind of getting more conservative, but certainly for the last four years, Netflix has just been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred thousand dollars. Here's $50,000. Make this, make this. Yeah. We'll buy that. We'll buy that. Like they've just been trying to get as much original content as possible. So they're just kind of, there's no thing that's like, this is what Netflix does. So Netflix still, it does have a lot of variety, but they're starting to get a little hallmarky. They're kind of creating original content that's very similar to what you would see on Hallmark, because I suppose that makes money. I heard that where it's like Netflix, the whole idea now, like there's really no rom uh, rom-coms in movie theaters, but there's there's rom-coms on netflix and those are the rom-com movies that people see now as opposed to rom-coms in theaters Hmm. i remember hearing something about that because they got the data movies are kind of just like using market research and kind of like you know doing things and like too scared to take risks because you know they did this one thing and that worked and they you know they use that as sort of their drafting method for making new movies but like netflix can just be like yeah we we spent we spent a billion dollars and we just made a bunch of shit, and then we just looked at what everyone watched, and then let's just make more of that. So they made all those Adam Sandler movies, and they were like oh, the yeah. most viewed things on Netflix. <laughs> so they're just like, yeah, let's just keep making these weird comedies Didn't, and and like these rom coms or whatever. Like these, like you know. Did Netflix put out uh, the the dark? It's like um, oh dark. Dark. It's it's like Stranger Things, right? E, kind it's, of. I didn't. A lot of people enjoy it, but I suppose it's similar to that. Hold on, I have a question. A bit. I don't know what that has to do with what we're talking. Yeah, about. I don't know where, where it's just you're like going. what you're saying is like they saw they they did. Um, oh yeah, yeah they, like, thing, stranger, they, like, like let's have like, some more Stranger we'll, Things. We'll make things. them like five years older, and they'll do it. They'll do the same shit. But wait, if they follow data, would they ever have a tone? If they just follow data, would it not always change? Probably not. So that's yeah. I mean, it might it might never be like that because I mean, not even just the data thing, but just you know, Netflix wants to be the only thing. They don't want to be a channel on a series of channels that has its own style and tone they want to be the hub for all content so they want everything kind of yeah yeah uh yeah so getting into the stories i can't think of a segue uh (laughs) beetle that that was your segue (laughs) yeah because you because you smoked Oh, is that not the right? It's I'm, not all right. Wrong, wrong segue. I, wrong, I, wrong segue. I'm sorry, read, I'm read the outline. Here's the segue. Read the outline. Uh, Tyler oh, is <laughs> insane, and nothing that he ever says makes any sense. Also, oh, I can't read. Damn it. Beetlejuice <laughs> two is moving forward, and Michael <laughs> Keaton <laughs> is expected to return. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Mm. So sources <laughs> sources <laughs> have stated that Warner Brothers is indeed moving forward <laughs> with a Beetlejuice two. It's unclear if the project is actively in development right now or if it's just something they intend on getting to in the near future, but sources say it's definitely happening and Michael Keaton is expected to return. Furthermore, we're told that WB would like Tim Burton and Winona Ryder back uh, too, but as with Keaton, it doesn't sound like they're locked in just yet. Why did you make that noise? So who who is who is making the Beetlejuice uh, reboot? WB. WB. Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Who made the original Beetlejuice? You mean the studio? Yeah. Uh, th- I mean, I think I thought it was one. Wasn't it Warner Brothers? They're like they're it, the the article makes it sound like they they're asking them back like 
they did the original. Yeah, but I have no idea. I, I didn't the, know the, WB the, was let's Warner wait Brothers. To find out. The article uh, made first. it seem like uh, it's like let's bring everyone, let's bring the whole yeah. band. Yeah, back I can together. usually I can usually remember from thinking back to the beginning of the movie and just remembering what production logo is on it, but I'm kind of drawing a blank on Beetlejuice. You uh, owe Warner a, Brothers an apology, Julia. For what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Warner Brothers shit. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. This Damn. is sponsored by Warner Brothers. <laughs> there goes that. Yeah. <laughs> the one and only. Uh, yeah, they've been talking about this for a while. For for the past couple of years, I think people have been like sort of asking for a Beetlejuice reboot or Beetlejuice 2. And they've been like, there's been a lot of like fan art passing around. People are like making like movie posters for it or whatever. And I, you know, considering the corporate shill that Tim Burton is. I guarantee that he wouldn't be opposed to this. So I, I'm sure it's been Michael Keaton who's been sort of like reticent to do it all these years. Otherwise, I, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't have already happened. It's only worth doing if everyone's back doing it. Yeah. And why, why I'm sorry to interrupt, but why is uh, Tim Burton a, a corporate shell? I mean, you watched any of his movies? Yeah. He's like, <laughs> oh, you want me to make Dumbo? Sure. Willy Wonka. Okay. Let's not, I mean, hold on a minute. All right. What? That's a corporate move. Okay. Okay. It was more accurate than So, okay, here's the thing. With the remakes and the reboots, when people want the same cast, does that mean they want the same thing? Because isn't that what you don't want with a reboot? You want a fresh take on something that's nostalgic, that gives you the feeling, but you're still hearing a new story. No. People want the exact same thing, and whenever it's not the same, they get mad. So why don't... Okay, but The Lion King was the exact same thing, and people were mad. No, well, not really. The Lion King made a ton of money. It but people like, were mad still. Right. But, it, but that's that's a that's a vocal minority. That's like just just like fanboys on the internet being like, I mean, I didn't see Lion King, but for all intents and purposes, I've heard that it was bad. So why don't people but just rewatch their this movie if they want to see the well, exact same thing? Well, this one's not a reboot, it's a sequel. But people still want the exact same thing in the sequel, right? Yeah, they just want the same thing. Yeah, they well, they I feel like the they want a continuation. Thing. They want to continue. Yeah, I would and agree with that. That brings me to my point. I think it should be she's gone crazy, like Winona Ryder's just gone crazy trying to explain what has happened to her family. And uh, the opening scene is her just riding that thing through the uh, uh, through the store as she's like stealing clothes and stuff. And then that's like that leads into her in an asylum side. I'm talking about Beetlejuice, and just like they won't let her say it. I don't want that. This. Doesn't work because the parents know what happened, and at the end they've sort of like accepted. They've accepted the it. They changed. They're the not house. dead by now. Jeffrey Jones is dead. Oh God, I was Jeffrey I Jones, it, isn't he? No, he's not dead. He's a pedophile. Oh, off. Oh. Oh, now I wish he was dead. <laughs> I don't feel bad about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's uh he's. I don't know if he's in prison or not, but he he got shot. He got caught for child pornography. Uh, well, he won't be back for the sequel. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's actually that, that's a, that's an interesting point. Is like people like people cancel movies and TV shows whenever the uh, and I don't mean cancel as in like literally the network canceling. I mean people canceling it uh, where they're just like you're not allowed to watch you know. Annie Hall because of Woody Allen, or you're not you're not allowed to watch Chinatown because of uh, because of Roman Polanski or whatever. But people don't acknowledge people don't cancel movies when the person got in trouble pre the Me, Me Too movement. Like Jeffrey Jones, ten years ago, got outed as a pedophile, but nobody's like, you can't watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off anymore because of him or whatever. Jeffrey Jones is the principal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. People are selective about the things that they choose to shun. 
Tim Burton hasn't hasn't made a good movie in decades, so I have no interest in this at all. What's the only? Edward's I was about to say, we are you going to ask? Uh, yeah, what's so? What are the good Tim Burton movies? What are the last good one? Yeah, the oh, last good one. Okay, I'm not enough of a Tim Burton historian to remember like the last good movie, like what the timeline of it is. But like you know, he made uh, Pee Wee's A Big Adventure, which Great is movie. which is amazing. Uh, that was his that was his <sighs> first movie. Julia. What are you talking Julia. about? Julia. Wait, you don't, don't like it or you didn't see it? I don't like it. What? What? It's great. It's great. get what there is to you like. You were genuinely the scared movie? when her eyeball just popped out of her head? I don't feel fear. Damn. It's not about fear. It's not, <laughs> don't, that's, that's not I mean, the appeal of the movie. That's the truest thing Julia has ever said. It's just a good oh, movie. Name it. Uh, Do it or, sh- or else. Oh. <laughs> What? Oh, no, Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes is, so, is, scares not, you. is not a good movie. No, it doesn't scare oh, you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Edward, yeah, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, like Edward Scissorhands. One of his best movies is Ed Wood. What else? I'm just drawing a blank on on things. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas. I, well, he didn't direct that. He produced it. Oh. Uh, oh. Henry Selleck directed it. Henry I Selleck not, is that his name? I did not. Tom know. Selleck's uh, cousin. Stop. I doubt it. Okay. I somehow knew you were going to say I, that. I. If you have the same name, you got to ask, right? Like you if you met ask. some, you if you met somebody to. with your last name, you got to go like. Are we related? I've never met somebody with my last what, name. I, I don't know what your last name is. So I, oh. I'm trying to figure out. It's Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I just I didn't want to dox you on here. I know what your last yeah. name is. No, you don't. I don't said say her last okay. name at the beginning of the episode. And it will never be spoken yeah. again. You're going to make a real maudlin if you do. Oh. That's... That... <laughs> that <laughs> joke doesn't work. Why? That's not what her name sounds like. Oh, is it not? <laughs> uh, you should have just stayed outside and not gotten your coat. It's so cold in here. Oh, my God. No, I mean, you should have just stayed I out should, there. I know. Yeah. It's warmer out there. You should have left and never come back. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's made... But, like, I I liked... As as much This definitely got into the shitty, like, corporate shield Tim Burton. But I, I actually... I mean, I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. So maybe I'd watch it again and just not like it. But at the time, I liked Sweeney Todd. And that's the last Tim Burton movie I remember liking. Oh, wow. I but the only reason why that. I probably like that is because I just love Sweeney Todd. It's just, you know, you, you any movie musical, you watch it. And, there, and if you like the musical, there's some element of like, oh, yeah, I like this because I like the musical. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion. Uh, I don't like Helen Bone Carter. But that's the only thing I like her in. You don't like who? Helena Boehm Carter? Bonham. Bonham Carter? Bonham. I don't know. <laughs> Lovey Boehm, guys. Come on. <laughs> you don't like Helena Bonham Carter? I don't. Why? I feel like she plays the same character in every single movie. Wait. So does Matthew McConaughey, but he's great. That doesn't mean anything. For the abs. That's it. No. Wait, you're wrong because Wings what? of a Dove is different I didn't from see Fight Wing, Club. I didn't see Wings of a so Dove. So your knowledge is faulty. Well, you know, <laughs> or just not old. <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter is great. And she does not play the same character in Fight Club that she plays in Sweeney Todd. Fight Club. Or she plays or the same character in Planet Fight Club that Apes? she does in Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> right? She's in Planet of the Apes. Did I get that right? I think she's in Planet of the Apes. Everyone is associated with Planet of the Apes. Seven degrees from Planet of the Apes. Seven degrees. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say three degrees. Okay, she is in it. Thank you. Um but yeah, then there is was she? like then there was like Dark Shadows, and that movie was fucking terrible. And then so on and so forth. I don't even I lost track of exactly. any movies that he made since then. Alice in Wonderland. Oh yeah, oh, Alice, Alice went. Oh yeah, thing. Charlie yeah. and well, yeah, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Factory came out before Sweeney Todd. So I, I saw that and I was like, this sucks. And then I saw Sweeney Todd and I was like, oh, I like that. And then it was downhill from there. 
and even Sweeney Todd is like not a good movie. I don't I don't know. It was just like I enjoyed it watching it in the theaters. But Alice in Wonderland was fucking terrible. I mean, and especially because I saw it in 3D. And it was it was horrible. Uh, why was it 3D? Because that was back when 3D was like oh, super popular. Let's make everything 3D, yeah. It was like one of the first 3D movies. Okay. People have stopped thinking 3D is the best, right? Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, 3D is like a it's like a it's an afterthought now. Okay. It's like it's definitely fallen That's out of popularity. Positive. What about IMAX? Is IMAX still in the game? Yeah, I mean I, IMAX but, with D-box. But IMAX is I mean, I would argue that IMAX is becoming the norm. Because IMAX is objectively better than just a regular movie. I refuse to say IMAX. Why? Really? I knew you would say that. I'm not paying extra money. Yeah, he doesn't even like when you have an assigned seat. Why, why, why pay extra money? I'm going to hear it fine. Okay. Real IMAX. I'm going to hear it real, fine. I'm going to hear it fine. It's, it's not, about the, it's not gonna, about the audio. You're going to kick in. IMAX off. is not audio. Uh, I'm going to see it fine, too. Here's what I'll say It's going to be this. great either way. It, I don't looks, need... it looks better. I mean, you, I'm, you're somebody that probably said that back when they, when HD came out. And you were like, <laughs> oh, S- standard definition is fine. Like, it's not any better. But now, if you went back and looked at standard definition, you would think it looked like shit. Incorrect. Because I've mistakenly recorded stuff on standard. And I go, that it's fine. I get it. I'm, I can see it. I can hear it. I'm good. You need to see a nature documentary on IMAX. And that's the, that's the only yeah. time that I've had a an experience in IMAX that it has made such a difference. It's on another level. Yeah. It's gen- It's just a different You feel experience. that you're in the ocean with the marine creatures or in the jungle with, you know, all of the animals there. Oh. I, d- I definitely, when I go to a regular screening that's non-IMAX, I'm just like, what is this small bullshit? Like, I, it's, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's just night and day to me. Just one time, one nature documentary. I mean, the only, the only, Julia. The only <laughs> issue with it is that some theaters uh, don't do true IMAX, and then they present it as IMAX, and it's just not actually mm-hmm. the same. So you have to make sure that you're going to a theater that like has a legit good IMAX. Yeah, def scope it out. Um, <laughs> do my research. The AMC yeah. 16 in Burbank has great IMAX. Oh. There, there's a half baked two in development. You're Somewhere. looking directly <laughs> at Tyler. For this. <laughs> and Tyler's like, I'm I, here for. No, it. I didn't mean oh, to look directly. I, I caught it out of the corner of my eye that he was making some goofy face, and that was why I looked at him. He's making the I'm here for it face. Yeah. I'm here for it face. Yeah, He's stoner. Uh, I'm here for it face. I was here for it until I read the article or read the thing and found out that Dave Chappelle wasn't here for it, and I was like, it's got to be backed by Dave. But then yeah. he didn't back the first one. Yeah, well, I mean, he was, that, in, it, though, right? huh? he was, he was in it, but he he wrote it. Yeah, he was like. They made With this geared towards kids, and I was reading it. And I was like, "Ah, oh, come on!" I watched it when I was like ten years old. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So a, sequ- a sequel to the nineteen ninety eight stoner comedy movie Half Baked is apparently in the works. As comedian Justin Hires has announced, he is writing the screenplay for the project. An actor, musician, and comedian, Hires is perhaps best known for his starring role on MacGyver. Though this interest in writing has also led to him pinning Half Baked Two. Excited to announce I'll be writing the sequel to Half Baked. Hires says on the Instagram account on his Instagram account, com- uh, confirming reported rumors of his involvement. He adds, "Yes, I know the original is a classic, and yes, the sequel will be will be fire because I'm writing it. Oh yeah, I write screen screenplays too." Uh, wait, wait, I, I, is he saying that as a joke? It will be fire because I'm writing it. Probably not. He's a young kid. Like how, how he, wow. he probably said it. I don't. Okay, what what are the brackets for? What does that mean? 
It's probably because it was a it was an emoji. It was a fire emoji. Oh, okay. Gotcha, so they're gotcha, just gotcha. replacing it with yeah. the word fire. He just texted the, a, texted this to the guy. That's a lot of confidence. Uh, yeah. It will be fire because I wrote it. I I don't understand why he's writing it. I don't know who this person is. I don't know. I thought when I when I read MacGyver, I was like, that old dude's writing. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> just writing. <laughs> is there a MacGyver show? I don't. There even is know a new about MacGyver this. show. Yeah, and he plays MacGyver. He plays. Look him up. You'll see. Who you is know. it? You'll, what is his name? Justin Hires. You'll immediately hate it whoa what whoa. immediately hate it whoa. Just, not what i thought wait wait so not what i just thought. seeing his face no. will make me immediately I, hate it i was on, i was thinking about something else i was who plays macgyver put it on record no that no tyler said that when i saw his face That's i would shit. immediately hate it this is not what i thought it was <laughs> i'm thinking about some blonde kid yeah. Uh, and this guy plays MacGyver on a MacGyver show? And he's 34 years old. Oh, no. MacGyver is not him. Okay, so, yeah. What? So he's this, the sidekick then? This guy plays MacGyver. Oh. And I thought, I thought he was doing it. I was so like, who is I who? hate it. What does is he play he, on MacGyver then? Guy? MacGyver, apparently, the, the new MacGyver, I guess he's a young white guy. Justin Hires is a young African-American man. So maybe he's like the second lead, I guess. And how old is Justin? Oh, Detective he's James. He's thirty-four. James Carter is his, his role. Oh, okay. So yeah, he's. Oh the, wait, he's the cop side. He's the he's the cop number and two. He's league. writing. Oh, this is this is Rush Hour. He plays James Carter in the new Rush Hour show. Oh, that show got canceled. Uh, oh, that's okay. Uh, he plays Wilt Bozer on MacGyver. Oh, good name though. So in conclusion, he's not a young kid. He's thirty-four. He's a man. That's, he's a person. That's he's pretty a, young. He's a, I've been, he's I've been, adult. I've been told a lot uh, that that's very young. I mean, I'm not saying at thirty-four is old. I'm just saying he's not a kid. He's an adult. I mean, on a grand scale of a hundred years, that's a kid. <laughs> Most people don't live to a hundred years. Back to half baked. Uh, uh, <laughs> people really like. I know. I know it's kind of got a cult movie, and I, I cut bits and pieces of it on Comedy Central over the years. Is it, does it, I, get, I hate to say, does it warrant a sequel? Because everything could be a sequel, but. Well, I mean, here's the thing. So it definitely is has this huge cult status and people love this movie. I'm going to, I'm going to be really controversial and say that I like Half-Baked and I definitely watched it a lot when I was younger, but it's not actually that good of a movie. It's, it's, pr in my opinion, it's very basic in terms of that era of like, stoner and sex comedies like they were all fun and enjoyable to watch but they're not like great films like how high and yeah, and half-baked and road trip and american oh. pie like they're, they're like they're good movies that you like to watch and i definitely watched a lot of them when i was a kid but they're not like like i, I just like half-baked is a little overrated in my opinion it, it somehow became this like higher thing as like regarded as this great classic and i don't i don't think it's any different or better than any of those stoner or sex comedies Maybe from, from the 90s well, because of Chappelle. yeah I think yeah it it's like Chappelle, yeah. and okay. then the the neil brennan the no is that his name neil brennan the no chin guy i can't remember his name but, or the high guy also. no that's a uh, no, no chin, chin guy <laughs> that's jim brewer jim brewer, jim brewer. Neil, neil brennan is neil a Bre comedian yeah, and he, writer he co-wrote half-baked with dave Chappelle. okay he said no chin well, I mean, there's the who, who's in a uh, in Starman. That guy's in Half Baked. He gets he's the one that kills Jeff Bridges. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah. No, uh, uh, it's the one Starman. So it's like a movie from the '70s with Jeff it's Bridges. From the early '80s, it's Jeff Space Bridges. Man, where where the guy is like training to be an astronaut, but he no oh, way. Oh, Rocket Man. Rocket Man. So that guy <laughs> kills the horse in Half Baked. 
yeah. and goes to jail. Yes. That's why. That's the no chain um, guy in my. What opinion. is that guy's name? I, I can't. Pre- but um, no idea what's going on now. <laughs> Harlan Williams. Harlan Williams. Oh, yeah, yeah, is that his name? Okay, yeah. Is that his name, right. Todd? <laughs> no, Harlan Williams. Is that an author? No, he's a comedian. Harlan is a, is a yeah, comedian. yeah, yeah. They're no, all comedians. Yes. They're all comedians in the. Well, yeah, Harlan Williams. That's that's. Okay. He's in half bay. He's the guy that they're trying to get out of jail. They all spawned some pretty good memes. So Chappelle won't be in Half Baked Two. He has nothing yeah. to do with it. Okay. Will anybody be in it from the past one? I doubt it. No, it's probably gonna writing? be. Oh no! Well, yeah, it's probably gonna be all new yeah. actors. Yeah, Harlan will. Yeah, he's yeah. in. He's in Half Baked, and and he's the main character in Rocket Man. He's yeah. also the guy in. There's something about Mary who he picks up. Ben Stiller picks up, and he ha- <laughs> he's telling him he has this idea like for the you know because there's six minute abs, so he's doing five minute abs, and it's gonna be more popular than six minute abs. And then he turns out that he has like a body like in his bag and he's a murderer. Okay, I remember that. Um, yeah, spoilers. So the sequel will follow the son of Dave Chappelle's character from the original movie. No other details about the sequel's story were given. Unfortunately, Chappelle will reportedly not be involved, involved in Half-Baked 2 in any capacity. And it's not yet clear if any other actors from the original return, will return. The comedian has gone on record in the past expressing his displeasure with the movie, feeling it was inappropriately geared towards an audience that was too young. Chappelle at the, uh, in an interview said, Half-Baked didn't come out the way I wanted it to come out i was real upset about that because it was a cool script and then i saw it and i was like hey man you made a, a weed movie for kids and it wasn't for kids the script you know i think that half breaked is good and i liked it but it's a little overrated you know what is a great weed movie pineapple express that's a good that weed, is a good that's one. a good, that's weed really movie. good one, yeah. thank you smiley face Oh, Anna Ferris. Yeah, Skullfucker. I fucking Jesus love Christ. that movie i forgot about smiley that face is my favorite movie. stoner comedy it's so good. Oh, it's so good. That's true. I've never seen it. Yeah. You guys should watch it. It's really good. It's like a stoner art film. Hmm. It's like really weird. Yeah. The idea of a stoner comedy is is strange to me. The idea of that being a genre. Is that strange to anyone else? No, because that was just, that was what was popular whenever I was a kid. I mean. Like in the late 90s, it was just all like, dude, where's my car? Half baked. Uh, how high? To like, me, stoner comedy for what I know is stoner comedy is very Seth Rogen. Yeah. He, mm-hmm. He's like, that's the stoner comedy genre I know from him. But I still think it's strange that it like has it. There's no like alcohol comedy. You know, it's this, it's a specific gr- drug culture. Well, because not funny. Yeah. Being drunk is like sad. Yeah. It's not funny. Being high is funny. But also uh, how high or not how high, how high was fantastic and, uh, and didn't do anything for me in the educational sense. But watching uh, Half Baked, I was I was really young, and I liked the like the idea of making all the uh, candy bigger when you were high. But I saw that like they all got in trouble, so it, it really helped me not smoke weed at a young age. You saved it for later. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So it's being written by this random guy I've never heard of. <laughs> that so, that thing was awesome. So this is this Sick. this there's a real there's really high hopes for this because yeah. it's written by a guy who just like, is not known for writing, let alone writing comedy. Not going to have Dave Chappelle in it, or I'm assuming anybody else. Cause I'm I'm you know seems to me like Jim Brewer is the kind of guy who's like, oh yeah, Dave's not in it. Like fuck that. Mm-hmm. He wrote Dean's List. Oh, I thought you, I thought that was another like uh, weed movie. I was like, I sounds mean, great. I seen it. Yeah, so that's going to be. Real exciting to watch. Just like what he, wait for. He writes like a scathing <laughs> even uh, like, I don't even commentary on society and how it treats people. It could I'm, be I'm, good. Yeah, I mean, excited. nobody nobody expected Get Out to be what it was. There's a last Starfighter sequel on its way. Andrew, fuck yeah, yeah. I, I might be the only one in yeah. the room. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying it, but go ahead. Is that like Battlestar Galactica? No, no. Oh. Gravy Widow, writer of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. 
Book of Eli, The Walking Dead, and other films and shows, took to Twitter to reveal that he's been working on another project. It's a sequel to The Last Starfighter. The Last Starfighter is a fan favorite among science fiction fans. Uh, fans will remember the original film, which followed Alex Rogan, played by Lance Guest, who, after finally achieving the high score on Starfighter, his favorite arcade game, uh, meets the game's designer, Centauri, who reveals that he created Starfighter as a training ground for developing and recruiting actual pilots to help a fight in a space war. Uh, whisked away from the banality of his trailer park life to a distant alien planet, Alex struggles to use his video game playing skills to pilot a real ship with real lives at stake. It's a great, it's a great movie from the eighties. Great movie from the eighties. Robert Preston, the late Robert Preston was in it. Yeah. Great. And I, I'd love to see a, a sequel to the last starfighter. Yeah. That could be really good. I'm, but my worry is that it's going to be like a cross between ready player one and Ender's game. Cause it just sounds like that. Last starfighter is more of just a kind of uh yeah, nice fish out of water action comedy. Yeah, there's no real. There was no real deeper okay. meaning. Yeah, it's not. It's not like it's not like a space epic like, no. like okay, Ender's good. Game. No, if they keep it that tone, that's that's going to be real fun. Okay, and bring back so. my girlfriend. Yeah, so I, I'd I'd love to see a sequel to the Last Starfighter. Um, <laughs> she does it. And I think the she only reason why you're saying Ready Player One is because in Ready Player One lives in a trailer park. Yeah, but th that was a reference to the Last Starfighter. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. The in, in, if you read the book Ready Player One, which go on record to say that. The movie f was fucking terrible. Yeah. And the book, which I read just because I was like, got to read this, I guess. It's, you know, it seems required for somebody like me to read this. The book was fine, but it oh, was a little, wow. I, I thought it was a little hack. Okay. Interesting. Um, I thought you'd write hard for it. No, now, no, 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 no. The, this, this, this is a movie, like the literal story behind this is that the uh, the author, he wanted to, he wrote a script for a Ready, Ready Player One as a movie and he couldn't sell it. So then he decided to write a book so that he could get the book published so that he could option it as a screenplay to make the movie, which is a very common thing. Uh, or yeah, Ernest Klein. Ernest Klein. Uh, it's a very common thing that writers do now is they write books or they do comics uh, just for the purpose of optioning it into a movie uh, because it's, 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 it's easier to get a book published or a comic published than it is to get a movie made. And I just think it's a very hack thing to do. Uh, it's like if you're not good enough to sell a screenplay, you just write a shitty book and then somebody else will write a better version of the screenplay based on your book. I don't think that's a hack. It's just, isn't that a part of an artistic process? Because you're writing a shitty version and then somebody else is saying, this is a good idea, but you made a shitty version, so I'm going to make it a better version. No, it's it's business writers just trying to get their shit made so they can make money. It, it's just, it's a very hack way of getting a movie made, in my opinion. If Kelby were here, he'd be for it. Oh, he hundred percent. One hundred percent would be for it, uh, and that's why it's hack. Yeah, um, Kelby's not on the show. Julia's here, but anyway, yeah. That, so that so in that in the book, uh, in the act, they didn't do this in the movie, but in the book, there is a thing where during the process of finding the different clues and keys, they they unlock this this thing where you play a game where you basically. Uh, go through an entire movie and like you star as the main character and the point of the game is that you have to recite all of the dialogue from memory and get it right and war games that's not war games no yeah yeah, yeah. No, that they, was the movie they, they have to recite. they did oh, they did okay. war games that was the first one and they also did the last starfighter oh it was okay. it was one of the other ones they did and the and the whole living at a trailer park thing is like a direct reference to the last starfighter because oh. every everything in that movie is a reference to 80s and 70s right, so. i feel 
wasn't it like an, the entire book was like an homage to um, the guy who directed the movie or whatever? Uh, Spielberg. Among other things. And he didn't direct The Last Starfighter. No, no, no. Uh, he directed... Oh, Ready Player One. Ready Player yeah. One. Yeah, uh, and didn't get a feel for his own movies at all. It Nothing felt good in that Among movie. other directors and movies, it was yeah. definitely a big homage to Spielberg uh, and the, the, the 80s blockbuster. This just was announced a couple days ago. But they're doing a remake of Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. Uh, it's coming out on April 2020. Hot on the heels of the popular Resident Evil 2 remake that was released earlier this year, Capcom has, has announced that it'll be remaking Resident Evil 3 for modern hardware, which was al already available by a few leaks. Like Resident Evil 2's remake, the new Resident Evil 3 will feature entirely over overhauled graphics and gameplay with a similar over-the-shoulder camera perspective. Additionally, Capcom announced that the asymmetrical 4 versus 1 multiplayer game Resident Evil Project Resistance isn't its own game after all. It's a new multiplayer component for Resident Evil 3 that will be re included with the remake. First released under the name Resident Evil 3 Nemesis on the original PlayStation, the game put players back in the shoes of Jill Valentine, one of the characters from the first Resident Evil game, as she tries to escape from the zombie-infected Raccoon City while being ha uh, hunted by a monstrous creature named Nemesis. As the trailer reveals, Nemesis has gone through a significant design upgrade. Resident Evil 3 will be available on April 3rd, 2020 for the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. thought it was a movie. It's a... That literally... What? Tyler... No, no. I thought the same thing. Yeah, I thought it was another, this whole time. another movie. I was so confused. I was like, why are they remaking a sequel? That's what yeah. Nemesis looks like. Okay. Oh. Yeah, right. that's what he looked like in the movie. Uh, no, wait. Resident Evil started out as a video game and then yeah. became a movie. Yes. With Milia... Milikovic. Jojovic? Jovovic. Jovovic. Oh. So... This is a video game that is a remake of a video game. Yeah, so Correct. basically... Does that seem dumb to anyone but me? Well, no. <laughs> so so this, this is a thing that is very popular now, um, is remakes and remasters of video games. Uh, it's like in the last two years or so, it's become a huge craze. And basically, huh. uh, uh, studios are remaking their games... Which is basically like you get the you get the game, but it's got all of the latest uh, in hardware, uh, in graphics, and uh, updating the quality of life elements of the game. Uh, because you know, back in the day, you you remember playing games for the you know whatever the Super Nintendo or the PlayStation or the N sixty four or whatever. And at the time, they were amazing, and to a certain degree, they still are amazing. But because video games have gone through, through such a, an evolution, both graphically as well as mechanically. You go back and play those games and you're like, while I do enjoy this, uh, there are certain elements of this game that are really frustrating now compared to modern games. So they'll remake the game and they'll fix all those things. So they'll make the and For instance, for Resident Evil 3, the Resident Evil games were notable for the first, uh, second, and third games had this thing called tank controls, which was where, you know, no matter what, angle you were in the game you'd walk through the game and like you'd walk into one room and the angle would be like kind of like over over his head kind of pointing down at him like this mm -hmm. and then you would walk into another room and the camera would switch to like being in front of him so it was it was like constructed cinematically so that when you would walk through rooms it was kind of like you were watching a movie but no matter what angle you were at the controls were still the same pushing forward makes kirk go forward pushing right makes Kirk go right, pushing left makes him go left, and pushing back makes him turn around and go the other way. So if you walk into a room where you've, you, you're angled on them from the right, pushing forward still makes him go forward. But if you go into another room where it's pointing at the front of him, 
pushing forward still makes him go forward. So sometimes it would be kind of disorienting where as you're going from room to room, as the perspective change changes, the, the, the controls are still the same. And so sometimes you get confused where you would like, if you're angled on him front ways, you want to press like back to make him go forward because it's like making him come towards you. And this was kind of like a, a signature part of Resident Evil that like it made the game disorienting so that like you'd walk into a room and there'd be zombies and you'd be like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And you'd be trying to control your character and it would be kind of hard and it would make the game sort of scarier and more suspenseful. Some people like it and think that it's a it's a integral part of the game. And some people hate it and think the tank controls in Resident Evil are shitty in Resident Evil 4. They completely overhauled the control system to be over the shoulder. So the camera's always over your shoulder. When you control, you control your character through an analog stick. And it's always just like when you push forward, the character goes forward. When you push left, it goes left. When you push right, it goes right. And that perspective never changes. The camera's always over the shoulder. A lot of people say that that made the game less scary and suspenseful and cinematic. But a lot of people say that the controls are way better and it's just a better, it's a better game. So uh, they remade Resident Evil 2, which is my favorite Resident Evil game, last year. Or no, yeah, yeah, in 2018. And it was hugely popular. Because Resident Evil 2 is basically like the most popular game in the series. And basically what they did was that they remade that game, but with modern day graphics, as well as the Resident Evil 4 game mechanics. So the over-the-shoulder uh, system and they're doing the same thing with Resident Evil 3. Resident Evil 3 was notable for it was similar to the previous two games except for every time you walked into a room there was a percentage chance that Nemesis was going to be in the room and he was going to chase you. In the Resident Evil games when you go into a room if there's zombies they can't follow you into a different room so you can always escape but Nemesis was the only enemy that can follow you into other rooms. So if you walk into a room and Nemesis is there and you go, oh shit, and you try to leave, he'll come with you to the other room and he'll chase you until the time runs out and he like basically gets tired and leaves. Like it gave me, it, gave, it, it like really triggered my anxiety. So uh, they're changing that you're saying? Well, no, it's still gonna, it's okay. still gonna be the thing where you walk into a room and there's Nemesis and then he can follow you and stuff. Uh, but they're changing the game mechanic with the over-the-shoulder. and uh, They're just basically doing what they did with Resident Evil 2 and being like, okay, you guys loved Resident Evil 2 and everyone bought it and we made millions and millions and millions of dollars. So now we're going to do it with Resident Evil 3. Why not just do a new game but have those better controls? Oh, they do do that as well. I mean, there's like, there's there at this point, there's seven Resident Evils in addition to all the side games and things like that. But those you know the, it's the same thing with reboots it's basically the it's the video game version of reboots okay. it's a more they're discovering that it's more of a sure thing to remake or remaster a classic game and it's guaranteed to sell versus coming out with a new game especially new ip that feels i'm not a gamer by any means so but for some reason that seems really sad like you'd figure like video games were the one would be the one place you'd be like just try something new. Just just go crazy. You can figure out something that's really interesting and unique, but it's the same thing as like any other entertainment video game. Field. The video game industry is almost worse. Wow, I didn't think they, that would be the, the case. Video game industry rarely takes chances on new IP. Everything is just a sequel to some to to a, to a long running franchise. Like all the games that come out are something in the Mario 
line of games or it's a new Resident Evil game or it's a new Call of Duty game or it's a new NBA, uh, 2K or something. Yeah, or it's a new something oh, in one yeah. of the sports okay. lines. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Every now. or it's a new Pokemon game. Everything like there's rarely new IP. When did Red Dead come out? That just, came out in like 2010, I think. Something like I forget exactly, but Red Dead Redemption came out in 2010. Red Dead Redemption was a sequel to a game called Red Dead Revolver that came out in 2006 or 5. So that was a sequel to a, a game that came out when I was in high school. And it's all just GTA. Yeah. And also, and also, 2004. yeah, Red Dead Redemption has the added benefit of being like, it's from Rockstar. So they basically mm-hmm. were like, here's Western Grand Theft Auto. So everyone bought it yeah. just based on that. I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a, like a new concept for a game right now. And I'm real basic. Well, wow. one of the, one of the, yeah. one of the uh, most notable ones. So uh, a game studio called Platinum Games, they make like the Bayonetta games and he came out with a game called Vanquish and, and uh, they're kind of like a smaller studio, but they were notable for earlier this year. They came out with, they, they, they did a game called Astral Chain and it was a huge deal because it was like, Platinum Games is this kind of small studio. They don't usually get a lot of money to make their games. And Nintendo like invested heavily in this game with the stipulation that it was made exclusive for the Nintendo Switch. It was a big deal because it was like a new idea. Like new idea games are very rare. So when Astral Chain came out, it was like, holy shit, like Nintendo is spending millions of dollars helping Platinum Games produce this game that's not based on existing IP. It's a new it's a new original concept. And it came out and it was big. It was it did really well. It sold very well. And it's a great game. I have it. I have, I have 20 hours into it. Ooh. Um, very cool. It's 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 really good. It's it's basically the the concept of it is that you are a uh, a police officer in this like future world where like 90% of the world has been overtaken by this like data virus. And there's these small little like city, like dome cities that have been created to keep the infection out. And, but like enemies from the astral realm, uh, which is this like alternate realm that has enveloped the world, get into the dome cities and then you have to basically fight them. Instead of making uh, movies out of books, let's start making video games out of books. I'm talking 1984, the game. I'm talking the Fountainhead, the game. They, they, I mean, they used to do that a lot back in the 80s and 90s. There was like this, this point-and-click adventure game called I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream, which was based on a Harlan Ellison short story. Wow. And, and there's, there's other examples of that. But yeah, they, they actually did do like book video games. But they were like really like obscure things that like only like I would have played. I want to do Metamorphosis, the game where you just like you actually like grow a chrysalis and become, and become a cocoon. And then... Emerge as, but you you gotta wait the whole two months on the game. You gotta wake up every day, put the hours in. So it's little, like it's shaking. like a, it's like a Kafka esque Digimon. Yes, I love that. I would idea. love, that. I would love yes. to see that. Oh my god, you learn something new every day. Like you, you get the that's amazing. That's a free one. That's boys. the best I, I, idea you've ever had. I like it. So it made up for you knocking down the picture. A Franz Kafka Digimon. Yes. I have a question relevant to the last Starfighter. Or <laughs> going back three topics. Yeah. Okay. No. First of all, it was the last topic. Second of all, I was thinking of this because people talking about video games kind of is the same as people talking about their dreams to me. It's just sort of Useless. there's no plot. It's just this very abstract scene where there's no storyline. It's just lots going on. 
Well, there's definitely a storyline in Astral Train. I just didn't right, mention it. But but I'm talking about. I'm not saying the video game itself has no storyline. Oh, okay. People talking just... about video games. <laughs> Anyways. Well, that, but that's the distinction. There is that by definition, there is literally no one else in the world who can be interested in your dream. Like right. there is there is nobody other than you that could ever relate to that, and that's why it's kind of pointless and dumb to tell people about your dreams. But there are tons of people who would be interested in this talk about video games. Right. It just you I'm have ju- to be into it. I'm saying for me personally. So are movies about people getting through situations via their video game skills a fantasy for people who play video games that their video gaming skills are applicable in reality a hundred percent that's what that's what the last starfighter is is like it's like power fantasy for nerds of like you get bullied at school and you aren't physically strong you're not a hero people beat you up but what if all of the things that you are good at actually made you a hero what if being good at video games could make you the commander of a fleet in a space war so do you think the video game skills do have application to reality do you think your gaming skills have brought you something in reality if wars were fought like this? well object well, I mean, they yeah. are they, they oh, are but, but yeah i mean one benefit of playing video games is that it increases your hand-eye coordination yeah. It, 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 and also, secondarily, whilst The Last Starfighter is very much a fantasy, hyper-realistic version of this, there is something to be said about the fact that most of our combat is literally people playing a video game where the video game is controlling a, a, drone, a drone that bombs Crazy. people. It could be therapeutic, too. Like playing Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Like you don't do that in real life, but you could do it in a game. So I assume the consensus here is that video games don't make you more violent. So how do you feel about video games and violence? How does that... Obviously, I mean, I, was, I would assume that people here don't believe that playing video games makes you violent, but how does that work into your sense of... What does that allow you for by being violent in video games? I don't play video games. I don't know. So I mean, I think I think some people think that it's like a way to vent that frustration or something like that of like... I doubt the validity of that. Like, I don't think that there's somebody out there who's like, if I didn't play Grand Theft Auto, I totally would have shot up my school, but it gave me that outlet for venting that. I don't, I don't think that that is legit. I think that if you are somebody who is capable of wanting to go to your school with a gun and shoot people, I think that you need to seek help yeah. and have that corrected in a very medical way. So um, I have a theory that it's more about chaos and that we live in an organized society, but this is also connected to the fact that we are animals and we have animalistic instincts. And so we live in this extremely organized society, but we but our rate of evolution isn't the same as the rate that we've actually organized ourselves. And so it's a way to live out this sense of chaos that we don't actually need or want in our organized lives what i 100 percent agree with that organized yeah like we get up and we go to work and we try to be decent people and we form family units and that sort of thing oh. the sort of sense of routine just doesn't make sense to me the, the thought that that the world or our society is organized doesn't make any sense that is it doesn't you, feel it doesn't about? it doesn't feel organized like the it's, way that we run society, I get that things are compartmentalized and we do certain things. Nostalgia podcast. But uh, yes, yeah, so nostalgia podcast, guys. Too far, but to the get, whole purpose of a society is to organize things. That's just it what, just doesn't feel like we're doing what society that. is. Okay. 
moreover, what I was trying to get at is I feel like you could do that. You could say that about like any form of entertainment. Like books can be violent. You could have. Mm, I think it's different because video games are interactive. Yeah, that and also books and if you have enough of imagination, you get you can get books, that far into books, can't books, you? Books, TV, and movies are passive entertainment, and video games are an interactive form of entertainment. But they used to make the same uh, cases for like violent movies that you would let your kids watch, like that. It informs them that it's okay to do these things. Well, but it's all wrong. All of, like that, all of all that, that stuff is bullshit. Right? It's like, there's no there's no logic behind it because it's just people scapegoating their own shitty parenting yeah. on something else. It's okay. just people being like. Oh, my kid isn't bad because of me. It's because they watched this. It's like no. It's like if somebody shoots up a school, it's your fault. It is. You yes. you failed them in some major way. But I yeah. played San Andreas, but mm -hmm. all I did for most of it was workout. In the in the game, in the game. Or while you were playing. No, in the game. Oh, okay. Some people play why? like that. Some I just wanted to see how how big I could get my guy. <laughs> oh my that's gosh. the that's, that's what I did. the good that's the good thing about open world sandbox games is that you can play it any way that you want. Some people play the game where they go and they do the missions and they do what they need to do. Some people go around just like murdering people and just being like, I want to use this as a way of going around and murdering people. Some people use it to do crazy stunts where they're like, What if I ramped off of this thing and then I somehow like landed in this parking spot and then they do that shit and then some people like literally just like it's like a walking simulator where they're just like I'm gonna walk through traffic and or walk through the sidewalk and like avoid bumping into people and like <laughs> go to work and like go into this restaurant and like order food and like I just see how how much I can like just live a normal life in this game those, like those you can play it any way you I want I got my guy really cut that, that would scare <laughs> me seeing somebody play a video game especially like San Andreas that way People do that. That's scary. But just to really quickly, I totally agree with that. I think I think that in so many ways, um, we as a society like find little moments to act out the like chaos that's constantly bubbling underneath the surface of like what we pretend is our civility. Wading through tons of stories week after week. This is what I do it for. This is this is what really appeals to me. Oh boy. Like I couldn't give two shits about a half-baked two, but this is this is what I this is this is what I do it for. A bunch of lost Ray Harryhausen scripts and illustrations were uncovered, um, assuming just found in his house or something like that. All of these lost illustrations and writings are being uh, compiled into a book. And uh, if you don't know, Ray Harryhausen is a legendary stop motion artist mm -hmm. who did all of this groundbreaking stop motion work uh, back in the 60s and 70s uh, or 50s, 60s and 70s. You know, notably, he did all of the work for uh, Clash of the Titans and uh, Jason and the Argonauts. These just amazing uh, fantasy epic films from the 50s, 60s and 70s that featured this just groundbreaking stop motion animation work and he was he was it like he was the he is the greatest stop motion animator of all time one of the most influential artists uh when it comes to science fiction fantasy or special effects in general he had such a prolific body of work that you know they basically have uncovered all of these lost illustrations and and writings um that were never produced but in addition to that utilizing these hundreds of sketches notes and writings there's basically this like lost 
film that he was developing called Force of the Trojans. There's a screenplay for it. There's all these sketches and concept pieces and all these things. And so based on these, John Walsh, who is one of the trustees of the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, is trying to develop this into a movie. If this happens, such a great idea. And I'm so here for it. And they'll call that movie for Andrew. Yes. Yeah. Didn't expect anyone in this room to know who Ray Harryhausen was. Didn't expect to go too in detail about this. <laughs> I know Clash of Titans and Jason Mariana. Um, yeah, I know Jason Mariana. Those are great. Oh, well, well, I know Clash of the Titans. Hold on. The, first, the original, right? Andrew, I'm happy for you. If you, yeah. know, if you know Clash of the Titans, if you know Jason and the Argonauts, then you know the work of Ray Harryhausen. It's good stuff. That's 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 it for that. I'm super excited. I hope that that movie gets made. I hope it's really good. I hope it's uh, sort of respectful to the legacy of Ray Harryhausen. I can't hope too much that they're going to make it with all stop motion. Uh, it's probably going to be CGI, but at least they're doing something like this. I think it would be great. We're going to take a quick break, and then afterwards we're going to live react to the Wonder Woman 1984 and, I almost said Purple Rain, uh, the, the, yeah. and the uh, Ghostbusters After the Life trailers. Pew, pew. All right, so uh, this past week, the trailer for Wonder Woman 1984 dropped. And this is nostalgic for a variety of reasons. It's Wonder Woman, and also it takes place in 1984. How'd they choose the year? Do you know? It's pretty significant. <laughs> Todd, do you know? Do you have any insight into that? Research guy. Goddamn yeah. right I, they do. I mean, it's definitely based on like a trend now where it's like, you know, like Thor Ragnarok had that like really uh, 80s like looking logo, and it's like just this aesthetic that people are into right now. You know, they're just like slyly giving away the plot, like it's going to be against the government. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. 1984. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna let's let's watch it. And uh, yeah. has anyone wa has anyone watched this already? Absolutely. I've already know. seen it, but 100. Like, let's let's check it out. So a couple of us have already seen it, and a couple Bryce of us haven't it seen it yet. This is going in cold Golden or going in hot? Lukewarm. I don't know. <laughs> going in medium. I still haven't actually seen the first Wonder Woman. Oh, it's good. OMG, Kristen but I'm, Wig. I'm down with Kristen Wig with Always. 80s hair and glasses. Yeah. So many times. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> I'd go Kristen Wig over Gal Gadot. Yeah. Any day of the week. Same. No. <laughs> Blue Monday? Blue Monday is the reason why this trailer's fucking great. Although I think this is a remake. I don't think this is the original. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a remake. Yeah. Uh, but it's not the the orgy cover from the late nineties. <laughs> God, that cover so bad. Got Pedro Pascal in here. Yeah. He's a bad guy in Wonder Woman and The Mandalorian. Fuck it. Dominating. He's a bad guy in The Mandalorian. No, and he's the Mandalorian. <laughs> oh, okay. Although maybe he is. Uh, I haven't seen, we haven't seen all the whole ooh, season. Ooh, Cassio. <laughs> This guy there's a scene in this coming Chris up Pine. that is des Pine. there's a scene coming up in this that was designed to become a meme. I yeah. guarantee they did it on purpose. They're like, there is going to be memes from this. Chris Pine is Captain America, right? No, no, that's Chris Evans. Oh, I guess so Chris Pine is Captain Kirk. Between the Chris's, there's a lot of Chris's. All the Chris's. Um. Mm. It kind of reminds me the whole. I mean, I haven't. I don't really know the full plot of this yet, but the the whole thing of like Kristen Wiig's character, like, is kind of like a friend of Wonder Woman and kind of like looks up to her, and then she seems to like get spited by her in some way, and it turns her into a villain. It reminds me of um, Iron Man three. It reminds me of of um, 
the bad guy in that, uh, where he's like, he in the in the nineties he tries to like pitch Iron uh, Tony Stark oh. his oh, yeah. idea and he like ignores him and then he becomes a bad yeah. guy. Whoa. WWE. Okay. Oh, so what was the meme? Oh, this. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was made to become a meme. Absolutely. Yeah. Where you just put whatever thing you hate and just yeah. over oh, the, trash the trash can. can. Or it wasn't, and you just made the best meme of the year and ruined it. No, I've already seen the, the, the memes have already started rolling. Oh, okay. I, I already see them. Gotcha. But I knew the moment that I watched it, I was like, if you could be a fly on the wall of that marketing team of like, whether or not they shot the scene on purpose to be a meme, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But definitely they put that in the trailer because they were like, this is going to become a meme. Free marketing. All hail um, Uma Thurman. But I thought, I like I saw it, I was like, oh, she's uh, Ivy. I, that's what I thought. I mean, but then she's Cheetah or something like that. Yeah. Wait, what are you saying? Wait, I, yeah, th- what, I thought what, Kristen Wiig was going to play Poison Ivy. Oh, oh. And I got really cool vibes about it. I was like, ah, oh, nice. Do we, do we know who she's playing? Yeah, it's the uh, Cheetah. Is it the Cheetah? Is that what it's? I, I'm like very unknowledgeable. Of DC. And, and Cheetah is a villain. Oh, I like this even more yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah I am. Yeah. Very much surprised by the casting choice of Kristen Wiig, but very excited by it. Yeah, I'm here for that. And it's, because it's definitely not something that you would expect to be in her wheelhouse, but I'm very interested to see how she does with this. Yeah. Speaking of different pronunciations of names, which we were talking about earlier off mic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Gal, Gal Gadot. Mm, or, you that's know, a big one. Godot yeah. is like the way of like that's. I think that's like the. French? Whatever the French pronunciation or whatever, I don't know what that what the etymology of that is, but since she's Israeli, it's pronounced Gadot. Mm. Yeah, it looks uh, looks pretty. I mean, I still I haven't seen the first one. That's crazy, but though. it looks uh, it looks pretty good. Is there a specific reason you haven't seen it? When it came out in theaters, I had like a four month old or a six oh, okay. month old or whatever whatever. I don't remember when that came out exactly, but yeah, whenever you have a kid, you just don't see movies. <laughs> that's gotcha. very true so gotcha. i know that the costume is in the t- in the comic book this is the outfit but i still think the outfit is kind of silly and i know that it has to be that because that's what it is wait do you mean the full gilded one that she's in at the at the like the midway no not the full suit the kind of classic wonder Woman oh okay suit does anyone else think it's silly i don't and she's the she's the most powerful woman in the world most powerful person probably on yeah. earth. Yeah, she at doesn't. This time. She doesn't need. She armor. doesn't need it. So that yeah. So it's like one of those things where a lot of times people criticize female costumes because it's like, why would somebody who's like in battle wear such a revealing thing when they need full armor? She doesn't need armor because she's basically a god. Not but saying that it, I'm actually not even talking about because she's a woman and revealing and all of that. I just find it to be kind of. I guess this is the whole point is that it's frivolous and all these superhero movies are like that. It's kind of this over the top about this appearance of being this kind of glamorous superhuman person. And so the outfit is kind of obviously not realistic. It's like they have to have outfits that make them stand out from regular people. It's it's complicated because I love when they do the costume accurate to the actual comic like i don't like i mean as, as much as i love the first two x-men movie movies very very good movies you know in and of themselves but they popularize popularize the whole concept of like let's make their costumes more realistic and you know more like real for a movie so instead of having like wolverine in the yellow spandex he's just gonna wear this like leather suit and his hair is gonna be kind of like 
spiked up in kind of the Wolverine shape. And I think that's so dumb. I think if you're going to make a comic book movie, make it like the comic book. Make the characters look authentic and accurate. And like, you know, like Spider-Man Far From Home, like it's so cool that Mysterio looks like Mysterio. Like he, they didn't do some weird realistic depiction of Mysterio's costume. Like he just looks like Mysterio and that's really cool. Uh, and I, I think the Wonder Woman costume looks cool and iconic. The history of the, the political history of that is kind of complicated because Wonder Woman was created by a guy, and she was created as sort of this like fetish character. Like it was all about like bondage, and like she would like she would tie people up in the rope, uh, the, the the lasso of truth. And the guy who created Wonder Woman was like really into bondage. So she's like a dominatrix. Yeah, and so that character was created through this male gaze of like this fetishized bondage person, mm-hmm. but. In the intervening years, she has sort of been reclaimed as a feminist icon. Yeah. And I think the idea behind her look in the movies is like sort of that third wave third wave feminism concept of taking that back and, and weaponizing yeah. her sexuality. So it's like, you know, it's 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 complicated. It's like mm-hmm. you know, that character is not, is not perfectly one thing or the other. She's not perfectly a feminist icon. She's like this complicated character with this history of like, started out kind of weird and then was sort of reclaimed. And Mm -hmm. in that way, I think it's cool. Mm -hmm. Speaking of accuracy, I'm here for it a lot because I like the first Wonder Woman and uh, I love the 80s because they were the best decade. I look at it and go, is that really 1984? Um, hmm, Some of that stuff really wasn't, that was more like 1986. And I get that every time we do 80s movies as I'll go, "Hmm, was that really that time period? And it's such a shitty thing to do but I can't help myself and I should just let it go. But I will be looking through the movie going, that's not 1984. You should be, yeah. you well, should have been on the I think set. that happens a lot. I should have been Again, on Again, back to the, I think the more of a, of a book reference, whenever, or not whenever, but most, when I saw Pedro Pascal in scenes, he was on a TV screen, which I think is, is going back Tyler, to. <laughs> TV existed in the 80s. <gasps> Book, <laughs> but I was, it goes back to like monitors everywhere and and Big Brother again. I think it's I think it's something more along that line. So I don't think it's a specific 1984 movie. I think it's just kind of. If I see a date, that's it. Okay, got you. you're right. My bad. That's you're right. That's on me. <laughs> I will flip tables. Well, it's kind of like you know. I I think this happens a lot, but that's kind of like in The Wedding Singer, like all the 80s references. Yeah, like they're all over the they're, place. They're and it's horrible. Like, he just lives in a. That movie takes place in a universe that's just like in a vacuum of like yeah. this is the eighties, like yeah. no specific time, just the eighties. Yeah, and I hate that. Yeah, yeah. check out my fan theory on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this, I think this will probably be pretty accurate. I'm excited. It's for exciting. It. I'm excited yeah. too. Yeah, I'm way excited. Mm-hmm. I think right. I'm more excited for it than the first one. Me too. Oh, look at us, Team Kurt. But you guys yeah. are only so Team excited Julia. because the first one was Thanks. so good. <laughs> We, I didn't see the first one. Uh, God first one. I really liked the first one. I did think it was a little long, but I did enjoy it. Okay. But this seems, I'm more excited about this. Okay. Honestly, so I started watching the first one. Just sort of that opening scene, I think I was just like, not tonight. I don't think I'm going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> you missed Robin Wright being That's fucking awesome. Oh, she was great. But okay, so I looked it up and it looks like she's playing a different character in this. But she's also Robin in this, Wright is in this movie playing it, a different character. When I looked it up, she had a different name. But maybe she's like playing a persona that that character has in this in this new time. But she, her name is not what it is when she was on the island. Oh, that's really interesting. I could be wrong. Huh. Now we're gonna watch the uh, another trailer that dropped this week is uh, the trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife. I think maybe we all watched this, or we were definitely talking about it. 
I, I specifically did not watch this. I didn't I watch it. Lou, did you so watch it? You guys it? were commenting it. on it oh. without actually having watched I did, it. I didn't comment on it. No. I saw it. I, I didn't comment on it. I definitely. Anyway, I watched. I watched this trailer, and you know, just spoiler alert. I was like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> uh, but everyone else seemed to have like kind of like almost a negative opinion. I was like, "You guys are." I, I did not expect for anybody else to like have a negative opinion about this because I was down. Let's check it out. Wait, does this one have Kristen Wiig in it? Every character is played by Kristen Wiig in this. Oh, shit. <laughs> but actually, no, to, to your point, this I'll point out a part where not only is not only is that movie stricken from the timeline, but they go out of their way to be like, that movie never happened. <laughs> and I'll show you the exact moment when it happens. I love how the little, the girl, like, looks kind of like Janine. I love that her look is just... Clearly inspired by Janine. I love that it takes place in like a small town. It's actually kind of funny. It's weird because this movie must have been in development around the time. Uh, well, it's, it's so. This is my worst fear living in California. Yeah, we. That we're all going to be under tables. Well, being under tables is the best case scenario. I know, yeah. but it's still an right earthquake. here. So right here. So. That's like that line is like specifically like oh because Ghostbusters twenty sixteen didn't Yikes. happen. Like it's like it's like going out of its way to be like that movie f never existed. Oh, this girl is like. Uh, based off of Sigourney Weaver's character. No, she's based off of Egon. Oh, I don't know. That. Uh, in fact, I think she, th th she's they say about her. She's dad. Egon's uh, daughter. Yeah. Which I love. I love that they made it where Egon, you know, he, in this in the movie, Egon passed away because you know Harold Ramis passed away in real oh. life, so he's the only re non-returning Ghostbuster. But I love, I love that it it takes place in a small town. I love that it's kids as Ghostbusters. It's just like everything about this is up my alley. It reminds me a little bit of it. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has the vibe of like it and Stranger Things and like that that throwback vibe. Although it does take place in present day in, instead of the eighties. But I think small towns have that kind of past feel. Yeah. Whoa. Like, I, I shit my pants when I saw this. Yeah, it's <laughs> really cool. Afterlife. So down. That looks cool. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I, I'm sure this movie was, like, in development alongside it because they came out or they're coming out like kind of around the same time. I thought it was interesting that this movie uh, is basically taking this franchise that took place in New York and then it's moving it to a small Oklahoma town, which is exactly what Watchmen did. Oh, the yeah. Watchmen took place in New York, and then you know Oklahoma. it's about it's about that world, but in Tulsa. So I just thought that was an interesting parallel. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, what did everyone else think about it? Because I was like, I was I was sold from like moment one. I don't have the same attachment to the original Ghostbusters that I think you probably do. So I mean, I'm excited. It definitely feels fresh. Like this is kind of like the reboot slash remake style that I was talking about that I would like to see, which is it has similar themes, but it's clearly a new story. It's clearly a fresh take. There are a lot of elements that make it a new story that still maintain some of the nostalgic elements. 
Yeah, in no way does it feel like a, a Bill Murray Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And it's continuing off of that, which is which is cool. I like that, yeah. I kind of wanted that, but the Bill Murray, I like that too, though. I like, I like the style. I just don't think it would work nowadays anyway. I'm not here for it. Whoa! <laughs> but with it, I'm going to throw down some caveats. Yeah. Okay. Hit him with the caveats. I'm going to hit with the caveats. It's not for me. I can see why it's good. It looks really like it's going to be a good movie, but it's a movie I don't want to see because I'm not interested in that style of supernatural paranormal stories. Mm-hmm. It's just not the story for me. I'm being delicate, Andrew. I can be worse. Don't be delicate. Be yeah. worse. Um, He's being real Gen X I'm being right real now, Gen X yeah. now. I'm aware of your feelings, and I acknowledge your feelings. But it's not... First of all, the 2016 Ghostbusters was great. Fuck yeah. anyone who says yeah. that it's I not. That's a piece I liked, of shit. Yeah, I, liked I know you work. didn't. I know yeah. you liked it because we talked about it. But that's a great fucking movie. Can we talk about that for a second? Why Why did that movie... Why? There's no, you I, know the answer. Because the because people who saw the original were like, this is not the original. No, toxic masculinity. No, because oh. that's the so the phrase is you go woke, you go broke. There are a bunch of people, fanboy, neckbeard nerds, who grew up in the eighties and nineties. You know, somebody who around my or even Kirk's age, like we could very well be these type of people. It's our age range mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who are just like, this is like a thing that was like good when I was a kid. And now people are just trying to like make it PC by like making, like putting women and like black people in it. And it's like, and it's just like, they're doing it for like forced diversity and like, it, and then, and they're angry about it. Yeah. So how does that population people... affect whether it bombs or not? Don't, cause aren't there people like us who are like, great. Did it, did it bomb? And it, no, it didn't bomb. It didn't I, bomb. I thought that it did. It kind of, it, well, it didn't do great, but it didn't bomb. The, the idea of it bombing was very exaggerated. Like it was like confirmation bias of like the movie didn't do great. Can we look at the reviews? It's definitely better than Ghostbusters Two. That movie sucks. Yeah, Ghostbusters Two fucking it's sucks. fucking trash. Except for the theme song because it's Bobby Brown, <laughs> but it's a trash movie. This actually looks really good, but I'm just I am just not interested. One hundred forty-four million budget and two hundred twenty-nine million. Yeah, okay. see, see, so it, it made money. Yeah, okay, it, did, so it, it didn't did bomb, money. but it didn't do amazing, and so that narrative was okay. was shifted into it bombed by people who were just look wanting mm-hmm. it to bomb. Yeah, okay. And uh, it also got review bombed, yeah. which is a thing that happens now, where if you don't like something about a thing, if you don't like that it's being you know quote unquote forcibly diversified or whatever, you just you you make a concerted effort to have all of your incel you know friends go and like give it bad reviews which mm-hmm. which which unfavorably skew the v- reviews to the negative even though you haven't even seen the movie so i also felt like the 2016 ghostbusters was funnier than the original ghostbusters i would agree because all of those characters were funny and so it, the dynamic was much more spread out whereas in the original ghostbusters i felt that bill murray was definitely the comedic stronghold of the movie I mean, I don't personally agree with that. I don't I think that, that. The, I don't think that the new one was funnier than the original, uh, and I and I think that they were all funny in their own right. It was just kind of like a more understated comedy. Like I th- I think that Dan Aykroyd is very funny, but he's not like a goofy Bill Murray over the top funny kind of guy. It's more subtle, and I think that Egon's character is Egon is my favorite character, and I think he's the that funniest. Tracks. I think he's the funniest character. Like just the idea of like. This is like that time that you tried to drill a hole in your head. That would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> that's that's I, I think his character is very funny. That's not to say that the 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 new one is bad or whatever. I just I so I, is Afterlife going to be funny? Do we think? 
Uh, it seems like it's not going to be as right. comedic sure have, yeah, as... Yeah, I feel like they're going to rely heavily on that uh, Flynn kid, whatever his name is, because people think he's like super funny in um, Stranger Things. I was thinking they would rely Finn on... Finn Wolfhard. Finn, thank you. But oh, right. uh, I... like Paul Rose playing it pretty straight. Yeah, oh. I, th- I think he's just a pure dad character. Oh. Yeah. Mm. I haven't... I, since they're not doing anything with uh, the Christian Wig one, just... Put her, put uh, that uh, just one other person, drop everybody else, add a gorilla, make them hunt ghosts. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. There you go. They do Probably. the ghost, Still ghost, the ghost <laughs> Space Busters yeah, go- <laughs> movie. I do think it's uh, such a smart move to not be like, let's get a bunch of uh, young male comedians and put in Ghostbusters this version, and we'll, we'll make it real funny and... Yeah. and and dirty and whatever. The fact that they did a complete 180 take on it, I think, is really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that Jason Reitman is directing it, and like Jason Reitman is more known for doing these kind of like more understated kind of like indie character dramas. And I'm I'm actually not a huge fan of Jason Reitman. What I, is he known I, for? Uh, Ju- he directed Juno. Juno he directed Up in the Air. I love all those. I'm not a huge fan of his big fan movies. Young Adult. Young Adult's I, I fucking, great. I hated Young Adult. Oh, Young Adult is, is, a, is a terrible movie. No, it's a great liked, movie that you don't understand. I, I do understand it. You, you, you lack the capacity. I, didn't, I, the I central can't watch conceit, Juno anymore. The central conceit of Young Adult is that uh, whenever somebody is a terrible person, you have to accept them, which is so antithetical to what I believe in that if yeah. somebody's a bad person, you should Change cut them out of your life because oh. it's super toxic to have to accept people that are bad. Um, you saw a different movie. No, that's that's literally what young adult is about. Agree to disagree. Um, but I think that that's what is informing that. It was like you know he's he's not a big comedy blockbuster mm-hmm. director like his dad was, um, or like anybody that you would get to direct a Ghostbusters movie. He makes sort of these like character drama type movies, and also I think it's it's inspired or or informed by kind of following in a bit of that popular pattern that's happening right now with the like the it's and the stranger things movies of kind of like the throwback fantasy thriller what do you think causes throwback culture the fact that we're really unhappy with our current culture so go we... back to episode two. <laughs> oh, okay yeah i mean there, there's a, yeah go back the, to episode two there's a better there's a meme that i saw <laughs> that that kind of encapsulates it where it was somebody's tweet or whatever where they said, uh, I don't need, I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but just throwing this out there, uh, you don't love Disney. You just haven't been happy since you were 11. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking. What's the over-under on uh, Bill Murray actually showing up in this movie at the end? Mm. He's in the movie. Oh, Bill Murray's no, in the movie? He, the He's entire confirmed. cast except for Hel- Harold Ramis is confirmed. Oh. No, the entire cast except for Harold Ramis, who's dead right. and Rick Moranis is is in the movie. Oh, oh shit. I mean, how, oh how damn. I thought like that was I, what? How come they weren't in the trailer? Because I think they're going to be very side. They're not going to be uh, ma- they're going to be like they're going to be like playing extend, chess. They're going to be like extended cameos. Johnny Depp and 21 Jump Street the movie like that's mm, what I'm thinking. Okay, that was a good I think cameo. It's be a, I think it's be bigger than that. Oh, I think okay. they're going to be more integral to the movie, but they're definitely going to be like 15 to 20 minutes of screen time. Oh, okay. I like that. But yeah, I, I, I love the idea. I mean, it's funny because like, it's it's funny how this whole like throwback 80s like kids on an adventure thing is like so in my strike zone and so like my vibe. You can sort of look at it two ways. One way is like the type of thing that's happening right now, the type of aesthetic that's popular right now is like so in my wheelhouse. But secondarily, like as somebody who's like a writer and has like, written things and wanted to get things made it's almost it's also kind of like oh man like i was like really wanting to do stuff like this and then it kind of like happened without me and like i wasn't able to be involved with it because i like i wrote a pilot 
for a Stranger Things type show before Stranger Things existed. And it, when Stranger Things came out, it was like this simultaneous, like bittersweet thing of like, oh, this is so fucking awesome, but also fuck, like fuck. this is the thing that I wrote. So correct me if I'm wrong, and I uh, just want to get a feel for it. Wrong. Th- thank you. Um, like back in the day, like uh, Stand by Me, uh, the whole thing is about the journey. Yeah, and and becoming the best of friends and stuff, and 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 realizing that I don't feel like they have that feeling in the movies nowadays. Like it, it's about like they do a lot of stuff in the journey to get to it, but at the end of Stand by Me, like nobody wins. Like there, there's there's like a conflict, and then you grow together, but ultimately like, I get split, bittersweet because you had to pull a gun on somebody. Yeah, you know what I mean. And now at the end, at the and end also, of this, everybody... River Phoenix gets stabbed to death in a bar fight. <laughs> No, not in real that life. A, that's, in, that's, the, in the I know, that's like, the, it's so like sad. It's the catalyst for the story. Wait, so what is this point making about? It's just nowadays, it's kind of, you lose that feel when you try to get the, you're, like they're trying to get that vibe back of all these kids, like enjoying something together. But really it's just like, it's about them getting to the end of the movie, not them well, the first learning of, everything together in between it. The first season of Stranger Things was totally that way. Like the second and third haven't been as much, but the first season was, just totally about the friendship, which right. I which I loved. I'm obsessed with bonding. Develop yeah, friendship bonding in storytelling. It's like my favorite thing. My 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 Facebook page literally says my little like about me thing. I like telling stories about robots and friendship. Yeah, but when I invite you to go see a dead body, you're at home with your kids. What is that? That's that's not <laughs> friendship. That's oh. you trying to frame me for a murder. Wait, why do you like that so much? Like the bonding thing in movies. <laughs> I don't, why do you like friendship so much? I don't want to tell. <laughs> like in a storyline. Like Whatever I tell you, it's just going to be very sad. No, I'm and it's hear. not going to oh, be. No. <laughs> just, just what's, well, the, what's the sad thing? It's interesting oh, no. that it's robots and friendship because robots are these very stereotypically unfeeling, non-human entities that we are obsessed with comparing to humans. But that's it. And like then, that. No, it, that's I'll a stereotype of robots. That's exactly <laughs> what I. <laughs> but you said it, that's what I mean. It's that's like, what I just said. That's not how robots would really be. So to Anyways, just to think about the. So let me continue my point. I was you just repeated it. <laughs> Um, but then also friendship is this something that we s- stereotypically associate with extreme. It's the crux of humanity is like bonding with others and having emotions and that sort of thing. Like writing is about the human existence. I'm just saying it's an interesting character study of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I, I don't. You, you guys didn't hear it because it was separate from our main recording of the podcast, and you guys don't listen to this fucking podcast, so of course you didn't hear it. What do you mean? I listen but to on the podcast. on the episode, Dave, to me. Dave was on the podcast. On the episode when we talked about Maniac Cop, I did a side one-on-one interview with my friend Dave, and we talked about the fact that uh, Robert Zadar is his favorite actor because Robert Zadar is this actor who he faced this debilitating physical condition, uh, cherubism, where his body uh, is just thinks that his bones are calcium deficient, so it keeps sending calcium to his, to his jawbone, which causes it to grow to this sort of like distended, uh, sort of deformed uh, capacity where every year his chin just gets bigger and bigger, and he you know, was able to turn that into a benefit for him of like finding this niche as an, as a character actor playing these very like physically interesting looking 
people where that was a, a quality of him of like you wanted to hire Robert Zadar because he had this very interesting looking face that would kind of help you like in a in a movie like Maniac Cop where you wanted this really like strange looking person that kind of unsettled you and then so you hire him because you know he brings that to it and so he he turned this disability into a, a benefit uh, and 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 my friend Dave said that uh, you know he it was deeply inspirational to him. And, you know, he, he loved Robert Zadar because in many ways he felt like Robert Zadar looked on the outside how he felt on the inside, which was, you know, somebody who I'm assuming I'm sort of like making assumptions based on him saying that. But, you know, somebody who just didn't quite feel like he sort of uh, emotionally fit in with other people. And he, you know, the, the way that he felt about things and the way he processed things was fundamentally different than his peers. And he took that and turned it around and made it a benefit of like, I'm going to take these very strange and sort of like unconventional ways that I feel about things and process information and turn it into making these, telling these really interesting stories. For me, I think the reason why I'm so obsessed with writing about robots is not, is because robots, robots are this very fascinating concept where it's like a robot by essence, is something that is created to be as close to human as possible. But as no matter how much they look like a human on the outside, no matter how far you drive them to emulating a human, you can never get it to the point where they were ever, will ever be accepted. There's always this buffer, this removal of like, but no matter what, you're still not us. You're still not a person. And specifically, definitely. No. Uh, this is how Andrew's gonna tell me he's my creator. <laughs> he's made and me. so, yeah, I'm like, I'm Vincent Price and Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> That's what a lot of robot storytelling is about is like, you have these human feelings and you feel so powerfully, but no matter what, we're not going to accept you. And you, you can never fully express those things and never and have them be accepted by the rest of humanity. And I, and I think I, I felt like that a lot when I was growing up. I felt very much on the outside. I felt like I was never quite accepted into any of my peer groups. I never really felt like I always had, there was always people that I, that I knew and sit with them at school and, or whatever, you know, sometimes people would randomly come over to my house and force me to make them mayonnaise sandwiches, uh, which is an inside deep cut joke that no one will understand. But I never, I never felt like I was accepted by anybody. I always felt like I was, I, I, I had all of these complex emotions and ways that I, looked at the world that were just sort of like trapped inside of me and nobody understood them and accepted them. And so, you know, I, I, I relate to that idea of being a robot who's like, I was born and I, for all intents and purposes, it's like, you, you know, you exist now and you have to fit into this world, but nobody ever let me. And in terms of liking to tell stories about friendship, I just didn't have any friends when I was, when I was a kid. Friendship dynamic was something that I looked at from the outside of like seeing other people and being like, how do you get that? Like, how do you get that bond with somebody? I don't, I, I don't know how to do it. That connects to the robots in a way. Yeah. For what I know of people who really enjoy robots, there's like two, two mindsets, people who want, like who, who feel like they are the robot and then people who feel like they are the creator. Those are two very different mindsets in people too. And you can see like when they, when they expose that part of them, like you can see like when you're the creator, you have a, you have like a need to be able to be in control of this thing and make sure that you have all the knowledge of it and, and you're always holding something back from it. 
but I think a lot of people identify with like your side of it, even if they seem like they're a little more confident in, in nature. I feel like a lot of people identify as the robot. And I think it's, I think that's another reason we like robot stories as well. Yeah. And uh, there's also an element of it of just like as a man, as a man or as a boy growing up in the time that I grew up. You were a man since uh, birth, man. We were, <laughs> we weren't really allowed to like have emotions or be emotional about something. That that robot th theme also kind of hits that of just like growing up in a time where you just kind of had to be like stoic and unemotional about things, and you weren't allowed to cry. And you know, you just had to, you kind of had to be a robot, um, or else you were sort of made fun of. We got real on this yeah, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why, that, speaking of uh, portraying emotions ex externally, Purple Rain has been added to the film registry. What do you want to say about that, Kirk? We did it. I just want to say that's a fire segue. We did it. We did it. Guys. We did it. I worked real hard to make this happen. It's all you, Kirk. Thank you, Kirk. <laughs> this one's for you. And I did it. And it's uh, for Yeah. Purple Rain is now uh, officially a uh, protected movie. Which what does that mean? That means it has to be preserved. Like they have to do, they have to do yeah. anything they can. If some, if there's a fire and all prints of Purple Rain are done, all they prints, have, of, all Purple prints of Purple Rain ah. are done. They have to uh, preserve it. They have to rebuild. They have to yeah. do everything they can. It can't be allowed to like disappear yeah, or that's be amazing. lost. It's not that's really really good. Yeah. Which is so no remakes then. Which going? No. <laughs> so Wait, how does that happen? How does something become protected like that? Uh, it has to be. I don't really know how it works, but uh, there's a, a film. What is it called? The film registry deems which films are socially worthy. Yeah. So there's a bunch of them. It, it just has to be decided that it's like important yeah. in some way. It's like a, like a when something becomes a national land or an international landmark or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's along those same lines. Okay. So who serves on the board and how do they get there? It's just me. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> just, just a thing that I do. It's okay. just, it's like it's anonymous by choice. Yeah, just that's like, right. Just like yeah. the academy is. It's like you don't yeah. know who yeah. it is. Okay. It's yeah. yeah. I think it's a government um, entity, if I'm not mistaken. It's called the National Film, Film Registry. Registry. Yeah, so it's like the Library of Congress. It's, yeah, it's protected because I love Prince so much. Again, for some reason, again, I'm real proud of this. I had nothing to do with this. I had nothing hey, to put your undying love for but, Prince. Had but when, when I saw this, it. I was like, "Oh man, I did a good thing today. <laughs> I really did a good thing. I have nothing to do with this. I didn't vote for this. I didn't have any power over this. But it feels real good. You put the energy to it. I put right. the energy to it. It's because yeah. you were loyal in your love. Exactly. So you ever long. watch? You ever watch PBS and they're like, "Because viewers like you. It's viewers. That's you. Viewers <laughs> like me. Next step is to make. I get it though. Yeah. I, I felt that way whenever I saw Daniel Johnson at the Hollywood Bowl because I was just like, I was in awe. I was like, I can't believe." He is like sitting on one of the biggest stages yeah. in the world. This like indie folk musician who's like struggled with mental illness entire his entire life and has been this obscure force that's like only you know appealed to a certain small number of people. And like now he's and I felt like I yeah was there, and, there I was, I, and I was like I contribute to it contributed to it in some I way controlled of like this. writing for him for all those years. Yeah, like and somehow that's... he collectively me and every other Daniel Johnston fan talking about him and telling people like I'm doing right now, mm -hmm. like led to him getting into a position where he was given that opportunity. And I know Prince is not some obscure thing that yeah. you had to like champion for, but I, I, I get, the, I get yeah. the emotion. I, I've been uh, riding long and hard for Prince and uh, it's overdue. And now we got to get under the cherry moon next. <laughs> no, 
which I will say is a good movie. Graffiti Bridge is trash, but Under the Cherry Moon is a fine film. It's misunderstood, it's misunderstood. and people just need to give it a shot because it's Prince going for a big swing. That's not. That's he never... strikes out. He strikes out. It's you a should, strikeout. Uh, that's never going to preserve. You should petition for uh, uh, the movies that made us. There's a lot of behind the scenes for Purple Rain. It's very interesting how it got made. But we won't go into that. will be for another podcast. Okay. But I just, uh, good job, Prince. A couple of last stories to go through. Don't want to spend too much time on them. Just really wrap it up just for the sake of completion to say we covered everything. Jack Black is said, said in an interview that he's going to be retiring from acting after Jumanji 2. That that's, was, but that's like retiring, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, you can never, like these, these retirings just never mean anything. Yeah. Because no matter how much you say you're going to retire, in yeah, 10 yeah. years, if you're just like, I want to make, like people just shouldn't say this. They should just yeah. not say it. Great. Because don't. it's like, no matter how much you say that you're retired, like you can only retire from a job that you don't like. Like people retire. Mm-hmm. Well, Rick Moranis. Well, I mean, but he, that's, the best that's like a rare that's, example yeah, or whatever, but like you can only retire, like only people who worked 30 years as a mail carrier can <laughs> retire because it's like, it's not something you would ever be tempted to go back to. Yeah. They pulled me back in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the postage service. I would love to see a reverse uh, MIB <laughs> where Tommy Lee Jones is like, I got to get back into that <laughs> office. <laughs> and it's just him just doing mail stuff. Yeah. Oh, There's absolutely. no alien stuff. Just him sorting mail. If yeah. you have a job that is like something that is your passion that you love, and it's also a good job that like anybody would want, you should never say you retired because you'll always like in ten years you're just like oh I want to make another movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe also, he's just like who cares? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I I care. I, I absolutely I, I care. I, I need a tenacious D two, but I don't need an announcement. If he wants to, you know, t- oh. take a hike. Well, somebody take... asked him. It wasn't like he was. <laughs> he was just it. like on his. He, somebody channel. was like, somebody was like, "What's your next movie?" And then he was like, "Actually, I kind of think I'm hanging it up." He said. Re- he said the word. I'm retiring. He said the word retiring. Yeah. He mm. said. He said maybe one more movie. I'm kind of enjoying the idea of early retirement. I've been saying for a long time that it's the last movie. We'll see. I can't really say what my next thing is because it's too early. Yeah, I kind of like it when people are just like, I'm hanging out. I don't need to make a movie for 10 years. Maybe I'll come back. I'm a creative person, so naturally I'll probably make something, but it's just how it is. Yeah, that's what I would would say something to that effect. He's he's big on YouTube right now. Yeah. And I think he's kind of hedging his bets towards that. I think a lot of celebrities are going to start going towards that, especially with like the new rollout YouTube's doing. I think they're just going to kind of invite all the... uh, family-friendly celebrities as possible. Like, the Kung Fu Panda guy, of course we'll have you. We'll, we'll promote every single thing you do. Uh, and he doesn't really need to do acting, like that kind of stuff anymore. But also, it, it does kind of create a demand for him. Like, so people are going to want more Jack Black. I listened to him on, a, on another podcast. <gasps> and I, he talked a lot about just not being able to help wanting to be a person who is performative and how it's kind of it's not even necessarily a choice, which I think a lot of creative people feel that way. Whatever their craft, everyone who is creative typically has at least one craft that they kind of can't help but do it. And so I think that also is why I'm kind of, for people who are in creative industries, the, the idea of retiring is kind of not even realistic because if they really are drawn to it in that magnetic way, they're probably just going to keep doing it in other forms or fashions. 100%. And that's yeah, that's why you just shouldn't say you're retiring yeah. when you're when you do something like acting or something that's like your passion. Yeah, 
Uh, so there's going to be a Space, ba- space Jam menu. I, said, I did this one for Lewis. Uh, there's going to be a Space Jam menu available at Michael, the Michael Jordan Steakhouse in Chicago. Who's on it? So we're going. From, uh, from now until April 13th of 2020, uh, you can try Space Jam inspired me- um, a Space Jam inspired meal during every Chicago Bulls home game. For anyone that's ever wanted to uh, be like Mike, this meal will take you back to the Michael Jordan days and give anyone who tries it a feel of nostalgia. Um, the new item uh, titled Mike's Secret Stuff Ew. is uh, well. That's the thing is like in the in the in Space Jam at the end he tricks the Looney Tunes into thinking he's like oh, yeah. they're all super insecure about being able to beat the Monstars and he goes uh, I got this uh, se- this stuff that like makes you a, a, a star athlete. It's called Mike's Secret Stuff. And he puts water into a into a uh, water bottle and just yeah. puts a sign on it, and they drink it, and they all think it's like a placebo. They think oh, that yeah. they, it's like magic, and then at the end, about that. at the end, yeah. it's like it was just water. Does exactly. it also fertilize eggs? Yes. Um, it's close to messing it up. For me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, Michael Jordan made uh, Bugs Bunny drink his cum. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you, oh my god. <laughs> That's going to go viral. Um, oh, my son can't listen. We got to push this one. This uh, is it a baseball themed restaurant? What? Because he did bat. Because he did baseball in the movie. Okay, yeah, yeah, kinda, yeah. Okay. come on. Oh yeah, that's right. So, so it it's, uh, consists of a Space Jam burger that consists of ten ounce a ten ounce beef patty that is stacked with barbecue braised pork belly, dill pickles, mustard, pickled onions, and uh, butter costs. But the cost. An aged cheddar. Yeah. Uh, and if that's not enough for you, the menu item also comes as a combo with a hand with hand cut fries and Mike's secret stuff salted caramel milkshake. So the the meal is like really not actually like themed. <laughs> you broke Todd. Yeah. You just yeah. broke Todd. It's uh, it's not really like the the food really has nothing to do with space nothing. jam. It's just yeah. being called that. Yeah. yeah. Just, All for twenty seven dollars. It's a lot of money for yeah. a mediocre meal. <laughs> well, we don't know about that. We, oh, I, I don't know. We know. I don't know about the quality of, of Mike, Michael Jordan's I've steakhouse. Ten ounce, a ten ounce burgers. Okay, but if big it's, stuff. If it's themed, that means the theme is distracting from the from the quality. Yep. Uh, yeah. Why can't Maybe. it be both? That, it could be both, but That's typically the theme is the draw and not the quality. Yeah. People, I mean, the, the they, price tag comes from the fact that every single meal has Michael Jordan's cum in it. <laughs> That's, ex- that's expensive. You think they're not? You don't think they're just outsourcing the cum? Uh, it ha- like it's just it's pure pure. Yeah, AJ. some some of the cum is Dennis Rodman's. The way that you know is if you get sick. Oh, uh, I thought if I started liking. Never mind. Afterwards, uh, that's not food poisoning. That's <laughs> hepatitis C. All right, you guys, like you guys weird... ruined it for me. Man. That's real. Weird. You ruined it for me. He All has right. hepatitis C. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the Matrix 4, w- which was announced and is being made, it was just announced the release date for it, and it's coming out on the same day as John Wick 4. So, what is the air quotes? Because of the cum reference earlier. Oh. Now, that, I mean, that's all you, Lewis. <laughs> all right, man. <laughs> so, on this day, which is May 21st of 2021, you can go to the theater and have a Keanu Reeves Double feature, and you can see The Matrix Four and John Wick Four. The question, and you can even, you can even like hop, like go to different theaters because like I, I've worked at a movie theater, and I can say theater hopping is not difficult. No, so you can go. 
Just, just makes which one do you watch first? Inside. Why does it make you feel bad? Why does it make you feel bad inside? I don't Wait. like it. It feels like a trap. What it does? Feels... What? Yeah. Trying to cheat the Matrix? As no, if you're in the Matrix? Both of, just both of those movies, oh, okay. back to back, no thanks. I'm Why? Kind of, that's I don't understand that at all. It's completely emotional what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> I, don't, I can't offer you a logical explanation. Okay. I'm so excited for this. I can't I, wait for John Wick 4. I can't, it's, it's sad to me that it's coming out in two years. I, I want to see it now. John Wick 1 through 3 are fucking amazing. Are those real mo- I mean, are they meant to be taken seriously? Absolutely. I don't want to have this conversation because it's just going to get me mad. John right. Wick 1 through 3 it's are a, great amazing. movies. Yeah, great. And I got a I got a great John Wick 2 story. Okay. I went to with my with my roommates at the time several years ago to see this advanced early screening of Get Out. I did I, I got there a little late. And I and I, so I get to is at the uh, ArcLight Hollywood, and I went to like go get in line with them. I made a beeline for them, and I just wasn't paying attention. And I was like so stressed out about being late, and I accidentally like kind of stepped over this girl that was sitting on the floor, and I was just I was just going over to step, and then I just kind of like you know if 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 Kirk was sitting down, and I kind of like stepped over his legs, and I just wasn't paying attention, and I walked up to them, and as I did it, she went like she went like hey that that's basically rape. And I was like, what? And like, she made this big scene and she was like, you just got in my personal space and just like, you, I could, I could, I could call the police on you. Like that's sexual assault. And I was just like, I, I'm so sorry. Like I, I just, I saw my friends and I just, I, I didn't mean to. And she was like, like, that is like, I could say you raped me. And I was just like, and I didn't, I was like, I'm not fighting this. I was like, I am so sorry. She was clearly either going through something or like a type of person that's just like somebody you don't want to hang around with but she was making this she was yelling this for everybody in this crowd to hear and i was just like so deer in the headlights terrified and i was just like I, i'm so sorry like i didn't mean to i apologize and she finally was just like ah whatever that happened and then immediately afterward these people come up and the people for the thing and they're like oh you can't uh, get in line with them like if they got here like they people can't save places in line that's dumb so i was like oh, okay and so i got in the back of the line and they started letting in. And these things, they always like purposely overbook for them so that they can fill the theater. So not everybody is going to get in. So I didn't get in. So I start leaving. And then I notice that there's a, there's a red carpet uh, with all kinds of reporters, uh, journalists, and people taking pictures. And there's like celebrities going through. And I saw like, I saw, like Chris Delia going through this red carpet. And I realized that the John Wick 2 premiere was happening at the Arclight on the same night. And this woman approached me and she was like, hey, do you want to see John Wick 2 for free? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And I just got ushered in to see the premiere of John Wick 2. And I was like one of the last people that was being ushered in. So I got like put in the very front row. And so I'm like sitting there and I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, like this is fucking crazy that this just happened out of nowhere. And then there was a surprise that Keanu Reeves was there and he was introducing the movie and he came and he did his like introduction and he was literally standing, I'm sitting in the front row and he's that far away from me and he's standing right in front of me talking over my head to the crowd and I'm just staring up at him like this. <laughs> and then he patted me on the leg and said he liked my shirt. And then you said sexual assault. And I was like, hey, that's basically rape. <laughs> Wow, that was a good story. Yeah, I didn't know where it was going, but that was a good story. It was a crazy whirlwind of a night, and I yeah. it was it ended up being nuts. great. So, is ArcLight known for kind of doing that, where they bring in the people who are involved with the movie to introduce it? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, they do that a lot. Because I because I went kind of my first 
day in LA and the director of the movie came out and what was the movie? I knew you were gonna say that, and I can't remember it. <laughs> you don't remember. That's it. why the director was there because it was a nothing. <laughs> no, it was a good movie. He did the, he did Swiss Army Man. Oh, the Daniels. Oh, the Daniels. Uh, it was His just first one name's guy. the. Well, it's, but the Daniels directed Swiss Army Man. Oh. It's, so it's a t- team of two guys. I see. Oh. One of the Daniels was there, and the stars of the movie were there, and I was like. Wow, this is LA. The stars are here. No, yeah, that does happen a lot at the ArcLight. They'll have yeah. like surprise, like, and all the, by the way, this person's here to introduce the movie. So it was actually kind of funny because they introduced it and then they started to leave, and somebody in the audience, because there were like five of us, somebody in the audience said, Hey, you're not going to stay? And he said, Actually, I'm just going to go watch Hustlers, but I might be back at the end. <laughs> it was kind of cool. <laughs> wow. Oscar Isaac, in a recent interview, said uh, that Dune, the Dune remake will be shocking, unique, and visceral. Oscar Isaac recently spoke with an Entertainment Weekly about uh, Star Wars Rise of the Skywalker, but he spilled a little about Dune as well, which he teased in quite different form. He said, uh, it's just a wholly, wholly different thing. I couldn't imagine any more, uh, anyone more suited for the tone of the original Frank Herbert novels than Denis Villanueva is directing, uh, directed Dune. He's a director who made uh, Sicario and uh, Blade Ooh. Runner 2049. Cool. Um, nice. There are some things that are, for lack of a better word, nightmarish about what you see. Uh, there's just this kind of brutalist element to it. Um, it's shocking. It's scary. It's very visceral. And I know that definitely between Denise and myself and Chalamet and Rebecca Ferguson, which are actresses, um, at the, as the family unit, we really search for the emotion of it. I'm beyond myself with excitement. I think it's a good uh, feel, uh, cool, unique, and special. So, you know, give, given some good uh, early vibes or, or hype for the Dune remake. Timothy Chalamet? Yeah. I don't what know. Is, what is... Okay. I believe it is Timothy What is he Chalamet. from? I know the name. He's in a lot. He was in... He's in that... The oh. King. Is it called The King? It just came out he's on one Netflix. one of those teen movies where he dies. Uh, he's in he Call Me a, By Your Name. Oh, yeah. He's in that. Thank you. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> he's going to be in Little Women. Or he is in Little Women. Oh. Yeah. It's probably him. Yeah. The thing I, the thing I pasted just... Used his Call last name. Yeah. yeah, I'm super excited. I I loved Blade Runner 2049. It's 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 genuinely one of my favorite movies. You were like Sicario. I was like, yeah. And then you're like 2049. I was like, this is gonna be a drawn out movie. It's gonna be a long. But see, this movie. is why I will one day kill you. <laughs> but <laughs> you mean turn me? Just turn me off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sicario is kind of like that too. It's drawn That's out, what I'm saying. Like Sicario is really action packed, but also drawn out. And then I was like, this could go any way. If the next movie, he says. And then it was another very long and drawn out movie. Well, yeah. Dune's Not a long book. It yeah. is. Oh, yeah. Zendaya's in it? Jason, Jason Momoa? Jason Momoa. Wow. I'm always a fan of Oscar Isaac. Stellan Skarsgård? Love Oscar Isaac. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, I, I love, I love, yeah. uh, I love Dune. I mean, I, I love the, the books, uh, Frank Herbert books, and I also as much as it's very strange and not like the books at all and sort of has been gone down as like almost this bad... Uh, mistake of a movie, but I, I do love uh, David Lynch's Dune. Last two stories. Uh, first of all, uh, Vanna White hosted Wheel of Fortune for the first time in 37 seven years. Long overdue. Uh, after Pat Sajak had emergency surgery, the show's famous letter turner took her first turn leading the show <laughs> for three weeks of the episode of episodes that started airing on Monday. So while he was uh, uh, recovering from surgery, she hosted the show. And honestly, they should just keep her hosting the show because Pat Sajak is a fucking 
piece of shit. Such a bland dude. What is? It's not uh, about being bland. He's oh. like a he's like an alt right like oh oh I had like, no idea anti vaxxer crazy huh. person. Good for her for hosting, but who's turning the letters? She's doing both because she can do both. That's no, I don't. I don't know. I actually oh, don't know. I was, like, I was like, that's what I'm talking. about. I thought about. you were serious. I was like, oh, like, that's even better. Her. I have no idea, huh. but that'd be that'd be cool. It's like when Justin Timberlake hosts SNL and he also is the musical performer yeah. and he introduces himself. Which is funny to me because any anytime any other musician hosts and then also performs, they also get they always get the cast to introduce them. But Justin Timberlake introduces himself and then runs on stage. I love that. Which is very funny to me. Worst story, saddest story, uh, Carol Spinney, puppeteer behind Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch, has died at 85. Oh, uh, Carol Spinney, the man behind Sesame Street characters Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch for nearly 50 years, died at the age of 85 on Sunday. Spinney died in his home in Connecticut and had been living with uh, dystonia, a disorder that causes a person's muscles to contract uncontrollably. Since 1969, Carol's uh, kind and loving view of the world helped shape and define Sesame Street, the nonprofit organization behind the beloved children's show said. His enormous talent and outsized heart were perfectly suited to play, uh, playing the larger-than-life yellow bird who brought joy to countless fans of all ages around the world, and his lovingly cantankerous grouch gave us all permission to be cranky once in a while. And, you know, to almost to, as a callback, I'm glad you brought that thing up earlier, Lewis, because as a callback to that, whenever I found out this news on Monday, I posted this on my Facebook page. I said, thank you, Carol Spinney, for capturing the imagination of an isolated kid and making him feel happy in those days when the universe felt too large and lonely to anchor him down. I bought my first son a Big Bird doll a few months before he was born because I remembered how you helped me growing up. Uh, no disrespect to the new puppeteer, but you're the only Big Bird that will ever be. R.I.P. Oh. Uh... And, you know, Sesame Street wasn't quite as influential and big to me as the Muppets were. Definitely the Muppets were a very big thing for me. But I but I did love uh, Sesame Street. And, uh, yeah. I am saddened because Big Bird was really the only one that I knew from Sesame Street. I wasn't lucky enough to, like, have it in my household. But uh, You didn't have PBS? I did, but when I did, like... That's uh, poor. When, That's very poor. When I, <laughs> when I did... I wouldn't get home in time or something, and I would always end up watching the Lions one, the like the Lions mm. in the library or whatever. Yeah, that show sucked. Yeah, and I was like, I fucking got a knockoff version of a knockoff. Like it, w- it was a knockoff of like a shitty knockoff. I don't know what they were doing with it, but it was terrible. What was that show called? Uh, it was. It was some pun. Yeah. It was like lying around or something, something like something that. Something fucking stupid. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. Carol Spinney. I, I watched some recent clips of Sesame Street that my son was looking at, and I heard the voice of Big Bird now, and I was like, oh, that's, that's not Big Bird. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you like the show and you uh, haven't yet, please subscribe. Um, if you have subscribed and you think that there might be a friend who would be interested in listening to this, feel free to share the show with them. Um, if you want to learn more about the show or any of our other content that we're doing, uh, you can look at our Facebook page. It's called Nostalgia. Just search for Nostalgia on the Facebook page with the official Nostalgia account. We post cool, interesting Nostalgia content every day. Uh, we have a Facebook group called Nostalgia where you can keep, keep up to date with uh, podcast stuff as well as just other general Nostalgia stuff and also talk to a community of people who are into Nostalgia content. You can follow us at, at, on Instagram at Nostalgia. We also post really cool Nostalgia content there. Um, if you have a question, comment, or anything that you might want us to read on the air during a show, you can email us at nostalgicastpod at gmail.com. Uh, and if you are a fan of the show and you do subscribe and all these things and you want to support us in a more monetary way, uh, you can go to our Facebook page, the Nostalgia Facebook page, and you, at the top you can click on the Become a Supporter button. 
and you can become a supporter for four ninety nine a month. Uh, you uh, you know support the show, and you also get access to exclusive bonus content that other people don't get. So bonus episodes of the podcast, bonus videos that we make, all that stuff. Uh, become a supporter, and you can get some cool bonus content. Thanks for listening. <laughs>